Fuck you. That's my name. <laughs> Hey, this is Sharks Across Hollywood, and this is a big fucking deal, I think, this week. What do you think? Do you think it's a big deal? Because I think it's a big deal. Well, for us, it's definitely a big deal. This is a movie that is deeply beloved by the Shark Pod. This is one of our white whales. This is one of the ones that you've heard us mention time and time and time again. It's not Rocky, it's not Weird Science, and it's not uh, Three Ninjas knuckle up but this is a big one for us you clicked on it so you know it's slc punk not slc punk 2 punk's dead or punk's not dead or whatever the fuck the subtitle is for that one i think it's called punk is dead slc punk 2 well punk is kind of dead we don't need to talk about that right now though but yeah slc punk today marks the 24th anniversary of the release of the movie which is why i wanted to record it today when it releases it won't be but we're recording it on the 24th birthday of slc punk so that's kind of cool which means we probably have another year to wait before we actually finally see a decent physical release of this movie that is outside of a giant 200 dollars box set which i want like half the movies that are in there but then the rest of them i don't really care about i actually want all the movies that are in there i mean i there's a couple of them that i haven't seen but they have enough of a reputation that i would buy the set just like i would buy the set but it's a huge expenditure on movies I just kind of want, and then this one movie I really, really, really want. None of them are bad. It's not like any of them are bad movies. Even Marandino was like, how the fuck did I get included in this collection? <laughs> you know, but like, they're all good movies. It's just, I don't have the love for any of them that I have for SLC Punk. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. It really is. And watching it, I'm like, God damn, am I really that much of a downer type of person? Because this movie's kind of a fucking <laughs> bummer some of the time. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. It's, uh, I, I, oh man, I, Steve-O's breakdown scene fucking tore through me this time. Oh, every, every time I watch it. It, it, yeah, it does every time, but you, the movie's so fun up to that point, you kind of forget about it. And then like, it's just like takes a knife right to your gut and just starts tearing shit out. Well, yeah, that, I think probably the first time I watched it, I wasn't really prepared for it. So I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Why is he doing that? What's, <laughs> what's going on? Why is he acting like that? Because when I watched this, I had seen Scream and I had seen She's All That. And that's really, I think I saw 13 Ghosts, but that didn't leave enough of impression of an impression on me to really have an opinion about Matthew Lillard as an actor. So when I first saw okay. this, I'm like, you're just overacting. It's, it's weird. He's not overacting. It's fucking perfect. If your best friend died right in front of you like that, I mean, I guess he didn't die right in front of him, but you know what I mean? If, you're, if your best friend, essentially at this point in his life, the only person that he really has. No, that... Like it when my mom died, it was exactly like that, and I just found out about it over the phone. And I, I've told you this story before, you know yeah. how like I had to wait to tell my kids and stuff, and like just held it all together. But when I when their mom finally came and picked them up, and I just like was alone with myself, it was like exactly like that. He does a disturbingly. He gives a disturbingly accurate portrayal of what that moment is like. When my chihuahua finally, finally dies, I will, I'll, I'll do that. I'll be incapacitated for a good week or so, just fucking in the corner in the fetal position, just freaking out. Everybody yeah, else will be happy, but I'll be sad. I'll, I'll be sad for you. I know how much you love him. But, you'll, uh, you'll frame the pair of pants that he, has a, has a he, hole in the nutsack of him. He literally bit a <laughs> hole right next to my dick. Like he was going for it. He was trying to get to the, 
to the package. <laughs> so that's my dog. I would probably be less compassionate about it if he'd actually succeeded, but he didn't. <laughs> so I can I can write it all. I I can kind of laugh it off at this point. He's such a dick. And then that one time you, he was mellow around you, he was like actively afraid of you for some fucking reason. Remember that when you were giving him treats and like petting him and stuff? <laughs> Yep, he still didn't want anything to do with me, but he wanted those treats. I understand. Well, that was an experiment that I tried to see if I could get him to, like, like somebody outside of the family, and no, it didn't work. Nope. And you were here all the time at that point, so it was fucking weird. I love him, but goddammit, he sucks. Maybe I'll <laughs> I'll post a picture or two uh, of, of the animals on Instagram. I should do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. You guys can get a feel for what my dipshit dogs look like. All these idiots that They're... I keep talking about, and you always hear on recordings cute. and stuff. They're pretty cute. I... Of course, Topper's my favorite. He's not everybody's favorite. Gizmo is everybody else's favorite. Well, Topper's my favorite because Topper seems to like me, and that means a lot. Hey, Gizmo likes you too. Gizmo's like, he likes me like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. He likes me, but I'm afraid he's going to kill me accidentally. (laughs) He's really big (laughs) and and clumsy and just... It's a lot like that. It's kind of funny. (laughs) I, I don't hate Gizmo or anything like that. It's just... He's a bit much. He is, but you know, we we keep him around anyways. He's a he's a good boy. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the 19 1998 year was it made? 98. 98. 1998. No, 99. Matthew Lillard's Star Vehicle. No, it had to be 98 because Oh yeah, it came out in 98. I first saw okay. it I first saw it on VHS in 1998. So it was probably like well, like you said, it released today in 1998. No, the release date is April 16th, 1999. That's not possible. That it's very possible. You and your dates are you're you're very bad with dates. No, but the the thing <laughs> is is like I have a frame of reference at a specific video store and I didn't live near that video store in 1999 at any point in 1999. I never even went near that video store in 1999 or at any point after 1999. Either you did or you're creating false memories in your head. But I specifically remember seeing this video in that video store and not having any interest in it because I literally thought it was one of those you know, because a lot of them were coming out, the, uh, you know, the Miramax type movies where they would they would get a trendy young star and then they would make it about, you know, like some rebellious, you know, thing and then and then try and market it at the kids, you know, trying to capitalize on the alternative culture, which everything was alternative at that point. You had alternative radio, which was fucking top 40 radio that played Nirvana. And it pissed me off. Oh, get over it. I was 20 <laughs> years. I was 19 years old in 1998, okay? So, yeah, uh, April 16th, 1999. Everywhere says that, so you're either making it up or your dates are off. Well, maybe <laughs> I am. Fuck. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe we are doing the thing that they say where we switch through parallel universes all the time. Or maybe maybe it's just me. Or maybe it's just a handful of people. I don't know. I don't fucking know. I just know I remember seeing it at that video store because that video store was right next to my apartment, which I moved out of in winter of 1998. It is you creating memories in your head. I don't know. I don't want to be the practical one, but I don't believe in anything magical. It's kind of a fucking bummer being me. I recognize that the evidence suggests that I'm wrong on this, and I recognize that I have a lifelong history of being wrong about dates and times, and demonstrably so, but I'm going to go ahead and Say, I don't think I'm wrong on this one. I think the rest of the universe is wrong. And it is totally the Berenstein Bears, isn't it? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> I have vivid memories. I, I was so a good reader I. at that age. 
I was a good reader. I was reading like at an adult level by the time I was seven. I was reading the King James Bible before I entered school. Well, that says more negative things than positive things just in general, but... I'm not saying... preschool children should be reading the king james bible i'm saying i had the skills to do it that's what i'm saying okay well that that's good i'm happy for you at least that you, that you were able to read because i just learned how to read last week and so far it hasn't been that interesting it's not it really isn't you shouldn't have learned and i i told you that yeah i learned to read audiobooks that's what i learned to read see what i did there i'm, oh. I'm blanking oh on yeah yes and that i <laughs> I'm trying and, and and completely failing. I, I should have had the coffee. That's it, what ha- I should have had the coffee. It's okay. On to the punk rock. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Let's punk it up up in this bitch. The whole movie is being narrated by Matthew Lillard's character, Steve-O. Like, the, the entire fucking thing. So the very first thing we hear is, the thing about me and Bob was, we hated rednecks more than anything. And I'm like, uh, I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. 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 How old were you when you watched this movie for the first you time? You know, I don't actually remember. I th- I'm pretty sure I was out of high school. I I was in my early 20s at the late, I think. Okay. Uh, I was in my early 30s. Maybe. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was in my early 30s. It was probably around 2009, uh, 2000, between 2009 and 2012 when I saw it. My brothers had gone over and lived in Germany for a while and they had watched this movie. I believe the reason they watched this movie was because of the guy who plays Mark. Oh, Till Schweiger, yes. Yes, Till Schweiger. He's a huge star in Germany and apparently he's, at the time, was like the Brad Pitt of Germany. Like he was this pretty boy who everybody was in love with, you know? I I heard that about him. (laughs) And they fucking hated him for it. Like, they hated him for it. And then somebody was like, no, you need to watch this movie, SLC Punk or something. I think that's what happened. So they watched it, and they were like, this guy's fantastic. And he is. He's funny as shit in this movie. <laughs> he is. He's great. What what the movie did for me was it got me interested in Jason Siegel Because Jason Siegel and I've said this before, up to that point, I had gotten... I had only seen Jason Siegel in, like... Uh, knocked up. And was he in The 40-Year-Old Virgin? I can't remember. Yeah, he, he plays one of those, one of, like, the... Uh, no 40 40 year old version no 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 i'm thinking i'm actually no, he think, was in knocked up. i'm thinking of he, he knocked played, up yeah he was not yeah, he in 40 year old of, version. he played seth rogan's seth rogan's super creepy roommate yeah and he was yeah. so good at that character that it put me off him like i didn't <laughs> i didn't want to watch anything else with yeah. him and then i saw him in this and i was like oh my god this guy's just he just disappears into his characters that's what it is and he yeah. does yeah, he started his movie career with three cult classics. He did Can't Hardly Wait at Dead Man on Campus and SLC Punk in the same year. <laughs> That's right. He is in. I always forget he was in Can't Hardly Wait because, I mean, he really is a blink and you miss a character. He's only in like, he only has like two lines or three lines Yeah, or and he's super recognizable to me now because of How I Met Your Mother and Knocked Up and uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall and stuff. But at the time, I hadn't watched any, I had never watched Freaks and Geeks, you know, and like the first thing that ever put him on my radar was like, I said knocked up and i loved can't hardly wait i've said before you know that was my high school movie even though it technically came out after i graduated but it came out like a year after i graduated oh, yeah. so you was, could do worse than like, that one i like that movie when we were dancing i had the hugest boner i love that guy i'm like that's really <laughs> fucked up <laughs> but i mean every school had that girl right where yep. everybody was just like oh my god she's the she's just the it person i don't know who mine was because i was always i i was fixated on one girl for almost my entire like from middle school to like mid high school yeah i i I think that's more 
like I was too, you know, like we're, we're kind of those guys, like we're going to fixate on one person instead of just being into whoever is like the popular thing at the moment or whatever. But, but I could like, yeah, I, we all had that girl in school. I was the guy though in school who was like, man, fuck her. She's not interesting. And of course, like that was like a defense mechanism because I knew she would never be interested in me. Yep. Wait, we need to, we really need to cover 500 Days of Summer again because, uh, since we recorded, the, since our first attempt at recording, I've actually grown up quite a bit and I have, they're the same stories, but I even have a different perspective on them now than what I, when I did when we actually recorded that for the first okay. time. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm curious. So we need to, we need to do that. We'll do that one of these days, but that's, that, that's not what we're doing now. We're doing SLC Punk. We got sidetracked real hard oh, right right at the right. beginning about, Sorry about you that. know, the thing about being Bob was we hated rednecks more than anything. And, you know, the rednecks represented America and fuck America. That is truer now for me than it has ever been in my entire life. <laughs> so this movie resonates even harder with me at 35 than it did at like 21 or whenever I watched this for the first time. Yeah. Like I said, I first saw this when I was in my early 30s. And by that point, I don't know, I... I really enjoy the perspective of watching a character like Steve-O talking about his thoughts and stuff, but I, like, it didn't represent me at all. What happened, man? What happened? You fell out of love with, with church and evangelicalism, and which, which kind of lends itself to the nationalistic thoughts or whatever, and then you're like, Well, like, that's the problem. <laughs> that, that was actually what led me out of it, was because I knew all that stuff was bullshit. And the more devoted I grew to my faith, the more I saw that it was bullshit, and I couldn't understand how everybody around me was brainwashed by it. The, the nationalism part? An, yeah, it's antithetical to, to the teachings of Jesus. It's completely antithetical. Nationalism is the absolute opposite of what Jesus taught. Yeah, but there's like a whole book or, or like a whole half of the book before Jesus where everybody's an asshole. Yeah, so. <laughs> and that's the thing is is like the whole point of Jesus was that he was changing things, that we weren't going to live like that anymore, that we weren't going to be that way anymore, that that way was dead. That was the whole point of what he did. He's an extremist. God, people would hate him so much if he did actually come back and started, like, throwing out all his philosophies and shit. Oh, Christians would hate him the worst. Christians would crucify him all over again. Christians would declare him the Antichrist. And yeah, they, they'd they have him killed. He's probably already come back and he's just, like, hanging out somewhere going like, Yep, uh, Dad, I'm gonna go ahead and, you know, fuck these people. <laughs> and his dad's yeah. like, hurry the fuck up, get in there. And he's like, no. <laughs> These guys are assholes. I don't want to. Leave me alone. You do it. <laughs> and he's like, fine, I'll make them all sick. He's like, dad, you're such a dick. So we get a nice redneck beating scene right at the beginning here. And they're, they're really going to town on these fucking, these hicks with the, with the, with their metal rebar or whatever the fuck they're using. And, and it all, bo it all boils down to, what can I say? We were nothing more than a couple of young punks. And then it goes into the opening credits with a song called Sex and Violence, which fucking rules, even though, you know, I don't really like violence. And sex the soundtrack is hard. of this movie is fantastic. <laughs> like it's really an amazing soundtrack. It is. I I actually I, I made some notes on a couple songs that I really really enjoy and probably heard in this movie for the first time because I was into punk but I wasn't really into punk. You know, like my my introduction to punk was like Blink One Eighty Two and Green Day, right? Yeah, I you know which is <laughs> which is definitely punk. It's just you know like that's a much later evolution of it. It you didn't you didn't necessarily have all that foundational stuff yeah i i didn't know who fucking minor threat was or fear 
or anybody or the vandals yeah. or whoever who admitted sex and admittedly i i have only listened to you know a tiny fraction of that stuff too i've listened to some minor threat i i've listened to a i've listened to a couple of fears albums there's actually a lot of stooges in this uh on this soundtrack they they get at least three songs jeez nice. prominently featured yep marandino was definitely a fan yeah the stooges were i mean the the Sex Pistols were my introduction to punk, you know, as they were for a lot of people. And then I had heard that the Sex Pistols sort of something that popped them up on a lot of people's radar is that they were covering the Stooges. So I was like, well, who were the Stooges? And I knew who Iggy Pop was. I just didn't realize he was the lead singer of the Stooges. <laughs> and so uh, I started getting really into the Stooges and that led me to the to Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground and stuff. And then that that led me into like a whole 70s retrospective uh, of punk that that made me a real it 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 it, it changed my perspective on music yep, i yep. found this great retrospective called no thanks the 70s punk revolution and it was this amazing collection that's where i discovered fear and um uh the damned and oh shit i i'm blanking on all the different but it, it was it was like a five uh, or four or five disc set that's awesome i want it <laughs> yeah it, it's, <laughs> that sounds it's pretty cool. amazing yeah, it, I, I love the gateway drug aspect of, like, you know, me first discovering Blink-182, Green Day, Sum 41, New Found Glory, all those bands, and then just kind yeah. of going down the, the, the emo, the early 2000s mall emo kind of rabbit hole and being, being that guy for a while. <laughs> and then getting out of it a little bit and, like, going into the really, into the more upbeat and just, like, New Found Glory kind of stuff. And then eventually accidentally discovering... I like I watched that documentary American Hardcore about the hardcore scene from 1980 to like 86. Oh, that that was the one that that was it, man. That that yeah. that was the gateway into all this shit, <laughs> all of it. Speaking of documentaries, um, what was her name? Sandy? I can't remember. Uh, Sandy. Yeah, whatever her the actress's yeah. name is. Her look is very clearly inspired by Darby Crash's girlfriend from uh, Decline of Western Civilization. Oh, shit. She does look like exactly like her, doesn't she? Yeah. Like, it's the exact same style. It's the exact same hair, same, like, coloration, everything. Rachel's like, she looks like Robert Smith. I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yes, I can. I can see that. So this is going to be another one of those movies where everything jumps around a lot and, uh, the I, whole story jumps around a lot. I mean, he, yeah, he there's flashbacks he within, back in the middle of a yeah, fucking conversation. Flash sometimes. flashbacks within flashbacks and all over the place. So we'll we'll see what happens as we as we kind of work our way through. Apparently, it was hard to be an anarchist in 1985. I I mean, that's the gist of it. Yeah. What the fuck is anarchy? So Are you going to define it for us? I am going to. I don't actually know the definition. I've I've heard it's way more complex than people think. Well, I actually thought for a minute that he had kind of a misunderstanding of what anarchy actually was, but it it kind of there's like an actual system of government, not just the chaotic one. That's like these, you know, the kind of what you were describing with those with those extreme leftist types. That's more anarchism than than like the chaos anarchy where you arm everybody and everybody kind of gov- it's it's almost like I, I can't remember you know everybody governs themselves no rules it's st- still that kind of thing but i got the definitions pulled up at least according to google one is a state of disorder due to absence or non-recognition of authority or other controlling systems which i believe is what steve-o is after 
Agreed. Then the organization of society on the basis of voluntary cooperation without political institutions or hierarchical government. That's the one that I think is more prominent now. It's not just a society of chaos. It's There's not like specific rules, but you just don't need to be a fucking asshole is what, okay. that, what I, I get out I of could that. See, I could see that as an ideal, but I also don't think it's exactly realistic in terms of forming a functional society. What, anarchy in general? Well, yeah, I mean, the problem with it is whenever you have any kind of because it is a good idea, you know, the the idea of it being voluntary participation without a bunch of structures and stuff, that's that's a good idea. But it only takes a small handful of well-organized assholes to completely ruin that. Yeah, I would like to believe that we could all govern ourselves and just be nice about it, but we need stuff in place so people won't take advantage of everybody. That's the only reason I could never be the anarchy guy. Yeah, you you basically, you, society has to be formed as much as it sucks to prevent the worst elements of society from exploiting it and taking advantage of everybody else. And the worst and, elements of society at this, that's the problem with capitalism, is capitalism allowed the worst elements of society to write the rules. And they point the finger and say, oh, well, this is the worst elements of society, or this is the wor worst elements of society. No, the worst elements of society are the robber barons who came in, stole everything, and then wrote a bunch of laws to prevent people from stealing it from them. That is true. And yeah, Steve-O gets, gets called out on it by somebody who would become very important in his life towards the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I, lo I love that moment, so we, we'll really dive into it's that. So, because, yeah. It's so... It's so good. It's this just amazing. It's what separates. There's this review I'm seeing because we were looking at the one star reviews, you know, like you were saying, you're all about the one star reviews and you oh, wanted yeah. to look at the one star reviews. There's this one. It says SLC Punk is always irritating and seems to be targeted to appeal to those with the pseudo rebellious mentality of a spoiled 12 year old. <laughs> and I would agree with you if it I would agree with that if it didn't end the way it does. If, yeah, if it does seem like, because Steve-O's an asshole. He's annoying. I don't yeah. want to be his friend. He thinks he's really smart. Well, he is really smart, but he's, like, too smart for his own good, you know? But yeah. he's, he's, he's smart, but he's, like, still a kid, and he doesn't know shit. Exactly. He's, he's in a, a stage of youthful rebellion, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he is an asshole. And if it were just that... Yeah, it would be what this person says, you know, targeted to appeal those to those with the pseudo rebellious mentality of a spoiled 12 year old. Because Steve-O is a rich kid. His parents are clearly supporting him financially still. Where do they get the money for all this shit? None of them have jobs like they don't they don't do a lot like they don't live high on the hog or anything. But their whole goal is to do nothing, you know, to and waste their somehow, educated minds. And yet somehow they still have a an apartment. They still are able to buy beer, they're still able to buy weed. Yeah, it's because Steve-O's parents are supporting them. After meeting Bob's parents, it's clearly not him. So it has to be that his parents are supporting him. Like, that's the only way they could possibly live. And that being the case, yes, if that's all it were, it would be juvenile and stupid. But it's not. And the most important thing is, it's not just that it ends that way. It's that if you go back and you rewatch it, which, you know, obviously we did today. Well, I don't know if you did it today, but I did it today. Maybe you did it three days ago. That's not the point. The point is, when you go back and rewatch it, it could never have ended any other way. These guys are at a transitional point in their life. You know, they're, they're, they just graduated 
four-year degree, so they're about, what, like 22? Yeah, something like that. They're at that period in their life where they're starting to mature into the people they're going to be. They're in that exact transition phase, which is why at the middle of the movie, or maybe the three-quarter mark or something like that, Bob gets this idea of, maybe SLC isn't so bad. I mean, it's kind of like home. That's that's Bob turning into the person he would have, would be if the movie didn't go the way it went. Yeah, and then Steve-O fucking losing his mind because he's like, I'm the only one fucking left. I, I feel like, yeah, he's very abandoned in that moment, I think. Yeah, everybody's kind of going... Moving, yeah, everybody's moving on without him, sort of, he feels. Exactly. He's going through that transition into adulthood. That's what this whole movie is about. It's about that transition into adulthood from the perspective of a young punk. So... To latch on to the young punk aspect and miss the growing up aspect is to completely miss the whole fucking point of the movie. That's actually, you're, you're half right. It's actually from the perspective of a lawyer who was once a young punk. All right. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> it is from the perspective of a lawyer who used to be a young punk. Which. I agree. Yeah. The, He's definitely a fucking lawyer. Oh, man. He's, but like he said, you know, he's probably a litigator or something. Someone who, who like, deliberately throws a wrench in the system, you know. and You can do more damage fights, from within the system than outside the system. big which corporations is, yes. and shit like that. Oh, he would, too. That'd be fun. We're going to talk about Bob. Bob is, if Steve-O wasn't the lead, Bob probably would be. But the only reason the lead exists as he does is because Bob will come to realize later. There would be no Steve-O without Bob. No. Uh, they call him Heroin Bob, but he is <laughs> afraid of drugs and needles and everything. He drinks beer and he smokes cigarettes, which the beer thing will be obvious why he drinks beer here later. He not only is afraid of needles, he's violently afraid of needles. That's not <laughs> yeah. an exaggeration. No, no. That's exactly what happens when he sees a needle, he becomes physically violent so yeah th this stuff happens while the movie is still a comedy so he punches he's like see he looks in this mirror he fucking punches it and he gets his big gross cut on his hand and he wraps it up in an old t-shirt and just left it like that for weeks didn't see a doctor didn't bandage it up didn't do anything to it <laughs> they're at a restaurant didn't wash it no didn't know? clean it dude didn't do anything they're at they're at this oh. restaurant and he like tries to pay and he passes out and she's the lady behind the counter <laughs> Like, is he going to be okay? And then Mike, who is played by Jason Siegel, who's this dork, will we'll meet him officially later. But she's like, is he okay? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine, thank you. And then they have to go to the hospital. But yeah, violently afraid is absolutely right. He's, they get in there and the doctor comes in. He's like, I hate doctors, man. I fucking hate them. He's... Uh, <laughs> losing his fucking mind and you can hear him steve-o and mark are sitting in the waiting room across from this who is supposed to be a mormon lady of course because they're in fucking salt lake city mark sees this little girl has a cut and he's being really nice he's like oh sweetheart how, how'd that happen you fell off you know she, i fell off my bike and she's like oh did it hurt and she's like yeah and then the mom goes Shh, and then drags her kid away <laughs> and then and then steve-o being his cynical self goes you know poor kids man not much future for him and then mark mike's like well everybody dies steve-o and he's like, you're right, man. You're fucking right. It's good stuff. I love Mike. He is my favorite character, like, by far. I mean, obviously, Steve-O's the star. But Mike is... Mike's like one of those... This movie is on a level with, like, a Coen Brothers movie. It's, it's so well-written and so well-done in terms of character creation. Like, they really created these characters. Oh, yeah, and, and we meet each of them individually, and Steve-O has a little bit of an interaction with each of them as we meet them. Like, there's a party scene here in a few minutes where we will actually, he will actually break it down and be like, this is this person. They're like this, which I appreciate, kind of. And I can't help but believe that most of these characters are based on real people. 
at least a little, right? They have to be. They're too real. Like so so Harrow and Bob named as such because he he's afraid of drugs. Uh we get the jump cut montage, which is why I always make the joke about French editing because that's what James Marandino calls it. He's like the French new wave editing where it's Bob giving this f- <laughs> This fucking manic monologue about um, why you guys shouldn't do acid because it stays in your system forever, man. You do enough hits of it and you're dead. That's what happened to fucking Napoleon. <laughs> he was poisoned with arsenic. They could trace the, po- tra- the you know, trace the poison up his hair. And this like jump cutting and he's like, well, it's the French New Wave thing, but we didn't really mean to do it that way. We just didn't have enough coverage to edit it <laughs> the right way. Yeah, French New Wave editing is definitely... Um was co-opted by the 90s indie market specifically because it allowed you to Frankenstein together a scene Uh, in a way that would have been unacceptable in mainstream Hollywood. Oh, yeah. So most of my favorite movies are cult films that did terribly when they were released. Like this one. How did this do when it was released? I'm I'm guessing not well. I haven't really looked into it that much. I imagine the budget was only like $800,000, so I imagine it at least made that much back. We also, in this little monologue, we we meet Sean. He's played by Devin Sawa, by the way. Pre-Final Destination, pre-Idle Hands. No joke. I thought Devin Sawa was dead. Okay, we've had this conversation before. You thought, did, did you think he was the kid from Sidekicks? I think that's what it was. I think it was him. I think he died in the early 2000s, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Brandis. And I thought it was Devin Sawa. <laughs> and so I keep hearing, like, like stuff kept happening with Devin Sawa, like I'd see him in something, and I think, oh, this must have been, like, his last thing that he did or something like that, you know? Or someone would say something about Devin Sawa, and I'd be like, oh, no, he he died, you know? But my, my sense of time is so bad that the early 2000s is basically like the mid 2000 teens as well like that whole period just gets lumped into one thing for me and so i kept thinking devin sow was dead like over and over again it happened and then i would forget about it like you know something would cut like devin sow was on twitter and i was like oh wow i didn't realize twitter's that old you know (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) someone would post a tweet but from devin sow and i'd be like oh wild like, he must have tweeted that right before he died. Jesus, dude. <laughs> well, speaking to Jesus, so Sean is is a character who kind of is is one of the people later on that, that starts Steve-O down his road to change, really. it's Again, it starts out funny. Everything's funny. Everything is played for jokes, and later it's just not. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's very much like the growing up process in that everything is funny in the beginning and everything turns dark in the end. Yeah, so he, he's selling acid to John the Mod and, you know, he gets caught by the... Con- another character. Who- another character who we will get introduced to later. He doesn't even have a name yet, uh, but he, he gets, you know, the the, the resource, the, the officer at the school or whatever comes after him and he Sean runs and he puts the acid in his pocket and he runs through the football field or whatever it is and the sprinklers come on and he just, a hundred hits of acid dissolve into his fucking leg so he's he's frying for the rest of his life um, i don't even know if that's actually possible i don't know but for the sake of the movie of a hilarious yeah. plot device this is all within bob's little jump cut montage by the way bob goes well i went to visit him so i went to see him like a week later and and it just snowed and he was sitting outside in the cold john what are you doing outside man are you him yeah, I'm him. Jesus! Have I sinned or am I going to heaven? <laughs> you're frying, man. How much acid did you take? Hey, you're not Jesus. 
You're Bob. I'm Bob. <laughs> How goes it? How you doing, man? Doing what? Walking on water. If I get off this chair, I'll drown. You want to know why, Bob? Because I can't swim. Oh, I get it. So, uh, so Sean, do you do you see land anywhere? Or? No. Just water. Say, Bob. Yeah. You are Jesus. That's right, I am. Why do you ask? Satan is in the house. He killed my mom and turned her into a bull. And then it cuts inside, and his <laughs> mom walks in. You know, flashback within yeah. a flashback. Speaking of within within a flashback, there's like four flashbacks right yeah, now. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure <laughs> Steve-O telling the story of Bob telling him the story is a flashback, and yes. then Bob's telling the story, which is a flashback, and then we're flashbacking into the house. There's so yep. many levels, but anyway, his mom walks in and she's wearing this dress <laughs> with these giant fucking spikes on the shoulder <laughs> that look like some sort of neo new wave interpretation of a bull it yeah, looks like no something idea. out of forbidden zone it's Have you weird seen forbidden zone no but if it looks like that i don't know if i want to it's a movie directed by <laughs> danny elfman or maybe it was danny elfman's dad it's a bizarre fucking movie with bizarre set design and costume design and this dress looks well okay uh let's say early tim burton okay i, I know the thing i know the thing because it, it looks like something that uh, uh lydia's mom from beetlejuice would wear oh yeah yes yes it does it does so that's a thing and it, it's pretty funny the cops show up in that flashback of course and then sean gets put away for several years probably oh and and he pulls a knife on his mom. oh yeah he pulls a knife on his mom and chases her around the house because he thinks she's satan or We've she, all she's there, a bull right? who got killed by satan i i definitely have been Sorry, Mom. And then, you know, Steve-O's like, that's the way Bob was. A real ass. Oh, no, wait. Because Bob goes, see, that, that that that's all we're doing, man. We're just waiting for somebody who can walk on water. Some some variation to that. And then apparently James Marandino decided to add the line that Steve-O says next because he thought it sounded really pretentious just to let that line go. And it does because Bob's out of his fucking mind. And then yes. that's when Steve-O goes, Bob's a real asshole when it came to reading into things. And then I wrote down specific, the specific line and he's like, well, Sean was fucked up, not the world. The world was just confused, and not the world really, just the people in it. Some words to live by, I guess. There's, there's a lot of lines like that that I really like in the movie. Bob was kind of right about a lot of things. Not everything, but he, he was kind of right about Not saying he was wrong necessarily, but he was a spaz, so it was hard yes, to take he, him seriously. <laughs> that's true. By the way, I, I found the box office. It grossed $299,569. Oh, damn. Okay, so we have a mall rat situation on our hands. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, opening weekend, $36,218. Yep, okay, that sounds exactly right. God damn, that sucks. Yeah, no it's, it's taken so crime. fucking long. I, I have to think that it's that it's a marketing thing. I think it's that people, specifically the people that this movie would have appealed to really, really well, were like me, and they were getting sick of Hollywood trying to co-op youth culture. <laughs> And that's how this movie was marketed. This movie was marketed like it was produced by Bob and Harvey Weinstein and aimed at, you know, the young folks to the, try and capitalize on youth rage. The tagline was, or, or a review said something about it, John Hughes meets Sid and Nancy. That's how some people described it. Which, which is it, exactly how you would think a review would describe 
that movie I just described that this isn't. Yeah, no, John Hughes didn't have wasn't ballsy enough to write anything like this. Like I get <laughs> I get why that's why they were I get where they were going with it. Because everybody yeah. loves John Hughes and Sid and Nancy was a thing that existed. And Sid and Nancy was like was like this. Like it felt very legit. I was gonna say that also that also probably didn't do very well when it came out. Like it was made by someone who really was part of the punk culture, you know, not not someone who was just an outsider trying to capitalize on it. Yeah, I mean, Dudes is the same idea, too. It was directed by Penelope Spheres, and she she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And it it was another one of those that the marketing <laughs> was what put me off to it. Once, I've actu- once I actually sat down and watched Dudes, I loved it. It's a great movie, but the marketing didn't work, which ironically is kind of the best outcome for a movie like this. Isn't it? It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? As much as it kills me that this movie wasn't successful, if it had been hugely successful, it wouldn't feel as punk rock as it as it does. Yeah, we wouldn't have to wait 25 fucking years for a, for a good HD release of this damn thing. Success as failure, right? Yeah, right. So Bob Bob's infection with his hand has turned into a lethal virus, so they have to quarantine him for several weeks. Then They, uh, they named a new disease they after named a me. disease after me. Um, so they also both graduated despite only being interested in causing chaos. They both graduated college. Fucking anarchy. I wrote that down in capital letters. I don't know why. I can't remember. But yeah. this is this is one of the best scenes in the movie. I think it's so fucking funny. We meet Steve-O's parents. The hair. The hair is as great as this scene is. It's the hair that you remember. Apparently his actual hair. He had long hair. So it was, it's not a bald cap. It's actually his head. <laughs> For real? Yeah. <laughs> Because that hair is fucking ridiculous. It's so over the top. Oh, God. It has such a specific texture. Yeah. Yeah, but he, yeah, it, it, it is apparently his real hair. So yeah, he's he's like clad in his punk rock attire with a giant fucking mohawk. <laughs> and this is the funniest goddamn thing ever. He had just, he's sitting there talking to his parents. He had just graduated from high school and, you know, his parents are divorced and shit, but they're both sitting there together and they're like, they're basically, you know, you should, you, you should go to Harvard and do this thing like I did because, you know, or are you just going to throw, throw your shit away, whatever. And then, and then of course the mom's like, but do it with love, always with love. It is worth noting that his dad is Shooter McGavin. It, he is Shooter McGavin. The mom is a, somebody we also recognize, but I can't remember quite from where. Yes. I, I always have that thought. I'm like, where do I know her from? And I, I can never come up with it and i don't have anything now because we're not good at planning ahead nope so and she's also i didn't she's not listed in the imdb either really yeah it, nowhere does it say steve-o's mom or whatever but steve-o gets a good rant in there he's like oh <laughs> because because his dad does this thing where he's like you know i i understand what you're doing the rebellion thing when i was in college i went to woodstock which was just trendy bullshit anyways i went to woodstock and we but we got behind some causes though collectively we ended that goddamn war in nam so guys like you could be free <laughs> it's it's really great the way he does it though like he says we ended i mean collectively we ended that goddamn war and <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> oh, oh time out i just want to ask uh real quick if i can um you believe in rebellion freedom and love right rebellion Absolutely. freedom yes love <laughs> you two are divorced so love failed. Two, mom, your new age are clinging to any kind of scrap of Eastern religion that may justify why the above said love failed. Three, dad, you're a slick corporate preppy ass lawyer. I don't really have to say anything else about you, do I, dad? Four, you moved from New York City, the mecca and hub of the cultural world, to Utah. 
Nowhere to change nothing, more to perpetuate this cycle of money, greed, fascism, and triviality. I mean, your movement of the people, by the people, and for the people got you nothing. You should just hide behind some lost sense of drugs, sex, rock and roll, oh, kumbaya. I am the future. I am the future of this great nation which you, Father, so arrogantly saved this world for. Look, I, I have my own agenda. Harvard, out, University, Utah, in. I'm gonna get a 4.0 in damage. I love you guys. Don't get me wrong. It's all about this. But for the first time in my life, I'm 18 and I can say, fuck you! He's like, don't get me wrong. I love you guys. Because he loves his parents. He actually has a pretty decent relationship with him, which is refreshing because a lot of times in movies like this, the kids and the parents don't get fucking along at all. And that's not really that realistic this like, all the time. This actually really, the conversation he has later with his dad and stuff reminds me a lot of hanging out with my oldest son. Because my oldest son has no problem being hyper-confrontational. But we love each other and we get along just fine. But he he just loves saying shit that, to try and make me uncomfortable. And I just don't let it phase me. You know, like I just keep going. And I'm still, you know, I'm still dad. So, so the conversation, specifically later when his dad comes by to pick him up, it reminds me a lot of that. You're either fully into this movie or you're fully out at this point. And then he walks out. And his dad goes, he's going to make one hell of a lawyer. <laughs> I I did not pick up on that on prior viewings as much as I did on this viewing. What, that, that he's in fact, that he is in fact a lawyer or that his dad is like... Yeah. Well, that, that the dad was impressed by his ability to argue. Yeah, and his dad's really patient with him too. He's not like insulting him or anything. It's, it's, it's interesting the way it's played. He, he, I mean, he's played as really supportive. Yeah. You know, like, like, even he, though he's he's like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I think a lot of people are not going to get this ha thing with the hair, you know. Uh, certainly, they're not going to get it back in New York. In New York, yeah. where that shit was basically invented. So I don't really know what the fuck he's talking about, but okay. But, you know, like, ultimately, he's like, it's he's a different generation, but he's very supportive. Which, yeah, you're right. Like, in this type of a movie, you don't typically see that. You typically only see the conflict. And it's not until, like, way later that there's, like, a resolution to that conflict between the two of them. No, like, like right from the beginning in this, he's he's very supportive. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see that. After that great scene, we get Living in the City by Fear. Great fucking song. And then Bob and Steve-O are just gonna fucking shirk the system by wasting their educated minds and doing fucking nothing. We get a rant about punks versus posers where Steve-O's hanging out in a mall. Bob is in the background. Like, it was apparently Michael Georgian, however you pronounce his name, his his idea to be walking around in the background with an ice cream cone. And he's talking about, you know, the trendy fucks and they only know, like, anarchy in the UK. It's just like a fashion show to them, which will fucking come back later because he's, he's busy talking shit <laughs> like he's the real deal. But then, then that one person comes along and goes, you're just a poser too, basically. Well, Which, what's great about this is it's not like he doesn't have some very valid points. You know, like he does. He has some, some great points. He touches on some stuff that makes a lot of sense. The thing with Steve-O, though, is I think he's he's a perfect example of a, of something that's happened to me multiple times has probably happened to you and probably to anybody who gets in their own head a lot is he's spending all this time in his head making all these arguments and finding all these reasons for what he believes and why he believes it and it all makes perfect sense to him until someone comes along with an argument that he hasn't considered before and then 
that's the point at which he has the revelation. Maybe he's full of shit. Yeah, that that does happen to me often. I'm really not that smart. So when somebody comes along and makes a better point than I've ever thought of before, yeah, it's it it's good to it's good to understand why you believe what you believe. It's good to have those conversations with yourself and stuff. But it, this is an excellent illustration of why it's also good to listen to people who don't agree with you. Because sometimes they're going to, and, and he's, it's good because like the movie's filled with people who don't agree with him, you know, and he's like, nope, that's bullshit. Nope, that's bullshit. But then someone comes along with an argument that actually makes a lot of sense and he has to reevaluate. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good yep. thing. It's it a, good a good thing, thing. to reevaluate. I want to talk, talk shit on the actual DVD itself here and the subtitles. He walks up to this, this kid who's got this jacket on that has a patch of the Union Jack. It is Union Jack, right? Right. The the British flag. So yes. he walks up, he grabs it, and he says, Union Jack is a fag, right? Okay. In the subtitles, he walks up, does the same thing, and the subtitles say he says, you know Jag, he's a fag. And I'm like, what the fuck? Was the person who wrote that even watching the movie? I have no fucking clue. I mean, I guess, was it a dig at Mick Jagger? Was it a joke? Did they actually mishear it? Like, Oh, maybe that's what they thought he was saying. Okay. Yeah, if it was a dig at Mick Jagger, maybe. I mean, if that's what they thought. No, I mean, like he obviously says Union Jack is a fag. Yes, that always bugged me. I've ever, yeah, ever since the first time I saw the subtitles, I've had this DVD in my collection for like 15 fucking years. So then he goes on, he goes on a little mini rant about how he's not a fucking hick. They can only say shit, you know, they, they think we're, they think we're a bunch of hicks. And I, you know, I've never fucked anybody in my own bloodline. You know, I hate the rodeo. Horses smell like shit to me. I've never fucked anybody in my own bloodline. So I'm not a redneck and God damn it. I'm not a fucking hick. The sun never sets on my asshole because of the British, you know, the sun never sets on the British empire. Oh, the sun never sets on my asshole. Who started punk? This is a debate that goes on for fucking ever. Forever. Who started it? Was it the Ramones and the Velvet Underground in New York? Was it the Clash and the Sex Pistols in fucking England? Oh, it's the Ramones. It was the Sex Pistols. Uh. And he's like, who cares who started it? It's music. I don't know who started it, and I don't give a fuck. All I know is that we did it better, we did it faster, and we definitely did it with more love. And then he does, and is all weird about it. <laughs> exhibit A. It's my only exhibit, really, but I think it's pretty fucking good. Then we cut to a punk show. Now, I've been to a lot of punk shows. None of them were this fucking rowdy, but a couple of them did get shut down by the cops. So that's something that happens. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's probably partly modeled on, uh, again, you know, because Decline was very clearly an influence in this movie. It's it, it's very similar to the show at the beginning of Decline of Western Civilization. And I know... Just yeah, chaos. Yeah, I know back then it was a lot rowdier than it was in the late 90s early 2000s when i was doing this shit and the cops yeah. were a lot more fucking violent about it because they didn't understand they still probably don't but they thought punks were a gang thank you fucking ronald reagan and your news bullshit and all that punks are not a gang juggalos are a gang kind of yes neither one of them are really doing anything that bad so we should just leave them all alone right <laughs> fuck are you kidding they're wasting gallons dozens of gallons of off-brand soda <laughs> yeah that you know what arrest them fuck those guys yeah that is funny the, their their real crime is just being annoying as fuck and listening to <laughs> shitty music a lot of them some of them are more annoying i'm a juggalo uh, that's is that is the least cool thing anyone's ever said to me i don't know i don't really care i just i just think it's funny i'm a hannah montana fanboy that's cooler than saying i'm a juggalo what's a what would you what would you call yourself me well, like there would have to be a name for a huge Hannah Montana fan. 
Oh, uh, Hannah Montana Fanna. <laughs> Hannah Montana. Okay, all right. That's not bad. Anyways, this fucking show, uh, this band, I can't remember the real name of the band, but they call themselves in the movie Extreme Corporal Punishment. ECP. ECP, and they, they're good. Speaking I like of, it. Juggalos. <laughs> oh, shit. Happy accidents. <laughs> yeah, so there's all sorts of shit going on at this show. Steve-O, you know, Sandy's getting all getting all horned up, and she's like, you're going to fuck me. If you're a man, you're going to fuck me. So Steve-O and Sandy fuck. Uh, no, not just you're going to fuck me. You're going to fuck me right here. Right here, right now. Yeah, up against the wall. <laughs> uh, you know, right on the outskirts of the crowd there. Mark looks at Bob and goes, or no, Mike. Mike looks at Bob and goes, hey, Steve-O's over there with Sandy. Wasn't she with you? And he's like, that was last week, dude. And besides, nobody's anybody's. And I've got my eye on Trish. Trish will come back to Trish. Yeah, Bob's got it bad for Trish. But Bob's also a little jealous of what's happening with Steve-O and Sandy over there. Yeah, and uh, uh, and Mark, Mark does fucking, not help the situation. No, he does not. Because <laughs> he's a dickhead. <laughs> like, you Americans are always looking for pain. He's not wrong. No. Bob is going to take out his jealous aggression. In, in the crowd, in the pit, as you do. That's that's why you go to shows like that. So you can yeah, you can let it out in a, in a controlled environment where it's okay to, like, fling your body around and bump into people, and that's cool. Bob might have gone a little too far, maybe just a little bit. You're not supposed to jump on the stage, but it happens. Who really went too far was the bouncer that these punk bands brought with them, and he starts beating the shit out of Bob. And that's when we get a, a, a little glimpse of who Mike really is. Yeah, Mike, uh, he, he looks at Mark and goes, hold my glasses. And he's like, more. This is the moment I fell in love with Mike. Oh, yes. And he's like, more it's pain like, you were looking for? He's like, no, I got to take care of something. And just fucking stone focus, like la- laser focus. That That's a laser focus. He's walking to the stage, then he goes and beats the shit out of the bouncer. And then the whole thing kind of devolves into a big raucous fight nonsense and then the cops show up and you know all of our main characters escape and go to the after party which trish is planning the best part is later on we have the scene with mike talking to the bouncer he's like <laughs> you know i'm sorry i'm so sorry man you know like you, you just got to realize that you know that's what ha- you you went after my friend so i just responded instinctually yeah. mayhem and punk shows are like peas and carrots <laughs> oh yeah he's oh, funny. i fucking love it and i love jason siegel in general so I have I, like, I I love Jason Siegel now. I'm just like Jason Siegel like it has two eras for me. There is the pre-SLC punk, pre my seeing it, and the post-SLC punk. And it was this movie that made me love them, man. Yeah, and it's it's it again, it's one of those gateway drugs that you just kind of you, you see one thing and then you <laughs> you explore more stuff and you're like, "Holy shit, this dude can actually act. He's not just a goofy bastard." Yep. Even though he's really good at that. Oh yeah, and then he says, "Sorry about the beating, and I hope the rest of your stay in America is more pleasant." <laughs> the singer for this this band extreme corporal punishment thinks that the salt lake city is too violent yeah he's I, what did he say he's like oh we're not bloody play here again yeah, too bloody like too bloody too bloody violent and bob's like thank you <laughs> and then i wrote down another line because this is actually really a uh, really really poignant also steve-o says in a country of lost souls a rebellion comes hard but in a religiously oppressive city where half of its population isn't even of that religion it comes like fire yeah what what would it be like to actually live in salt lake like being me you know yeah uh well i mean it's impossible to say because you're in your 30s you know it's a completely different you know, that's a very good point. When I was in my 20s, I, I, I had a crush on a Mormon girl and I didn't know. Oh, no. When I was in like my senior year, not my 20s, I had a crush on a Mormon girl and I didn't know what Mormonism was. My inclination is to love the people, but not the philosophy. The people can suck it also. 
No, I, but, I, uh, I love people, man. I, I really do. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you do. I'm disappointed by them, but... You can, you, you can love them for me because I think most of them suck. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, I love them despite their sucking. I am far too cynical to have that open of a mind, I guess. That's fair. That's fair. You know, different different paths, different perspectives. Mine's the right one. Go fuck yourself. I love you too. After the show, after the show rant, we get back to Bob in the hospital, and he's going to get out, but Mike and uh, and Sandy and Steve were all there to visit him, and the nurse looks at them and goes, have you seen The Exorcist? And Mike's like, uh, yeah. And she's like, did you like it? He's like, well, is this uh, is this dangerous? And she's like, not clinically. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I actually think we should maybe give the listener like sort of an overview because chronologically, this story is just chaos. Which no, this this movie is all subject over the matter. Place. Yeah, it suits the subject matter really well, but it is it's chaos. There's no point A to point B to point Z. It, the idea is that we're with these guys through what what did he call it like the the fall the of fall of hate yeah the fall of hate they just graduated and they're waiting through like they they want they want to like wait through the winter or something like that and just do as little as possible and that's where we're at with them like that's that this whole journey is chronicled through this period yeah like I said, like like we said earlier, they want to waste their educated minds. That's the context of what we're watching, because it's not really clear until, like, maybe your second or third watch of the movie that that's what's going on. That kind of gets lost. It's a throwaway line. I don't know. Maybe for maybe you picked it up the first time, but I did not. So, yeah, I just I, I just kind of wanted to give the listener a framework of where what is what the context of everything that's happening is. You got you guys with us? You guys you guys up to speed or do we need to start the whole podcast now. over again? Bob is going to get out of the hospital today at you know in the in this flashback and you know he's got tape all over the fucking walls and there's an inverted cross and shit and he's like losing his fucking mind and they're Where like, he got a hold of electrical tape? Yeah, like, who I the fuck knows? Don't know. And then Steve-O goes, "You're not going poser on me, are you, you big loser?" which is a fucking word they throw around. It's kind of annoying. I get it, though. Like, that's such a 18 to 22-year-old attitude. What? Everything, <laughs> that's, really everything that's slightly uncool is you're a poser? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and we learned that his dad didn't come to visit. You, We were the... They, our, our main characters here are the only people that came to visit because his dad didn't come because, you know, he's drunk. Now the fall of hate can really begin. And Steve-O's like, oh, yeah, you know, what can I say? I love the guy. And they're they're like boyfriends and stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve-O loves Bob. Yeah. Now the fall of lot. hate can really begin. And then they have the first party of the season. And that's where we get a bunch of introductions and more flashbacks. Flashback after flashback. Eventually, it kind of starts leveling out. And there's fewer flashbacks into flashbacks and shit. It gets a little more linear here around like the the 45 minute mark of the movie yeah this is where we meet everybody well we we meet the mod guy i can't remember what his name is well we get so we get some introductions we meet trish who's like the bohemian queen and everybody oh, really fuck, wants that's her right. we haven't even been introduced no. to trish yet jesus and we officially meet mike steve-o introduces us to mike and then some asshole walks in front of the camera who wasn't supposed to do that that's why steve-o's all like what the fuck uh <laughs> and then he, he kind of steve-o's like this guy's he looks like a total nerd right but he's one of the most hard core guys in the scene like hang on just hang on a second and then he walks off screen and then he kind of ushers a dude in that direction and kind of like pushes him into into mark mike sorry mike there's mike and mark we're talking about mike though and then mike grabs meet mark immediately after mike so anybody who gets confused with names like i do this is just (laughs) a big fuck you to you yeah and then mike uh shoves this dude's head into a wall it's hilarious because of the way mike looks 
like he could not look more like he belongs in Weezer if he tried. <laughs> so now, yeah, then we meet Mark, which leads us into another flashback about how Mark always has weed and drugs and like, he, but Mark isn't really a punk. He's not even really a peer, but he always had drugs. Get, so all the, all the tribes, they refer to themselves. Well, re, Steve-O refers to all the different groups as tribes. They all liked him because he always had weed and acid and stuff. But if you, if you wanted to score from him, you always had to sit through a bunch of shit because he's rich because his family died in a plane crash when he was a kid and he was living off the fucking insurance money. So every time you wanted drugs, <laughs> you had to sit through a spiel about all this cool shit that he has. He's got a fucking fancy couch and a TV and a a laser disc player that's a movie on there <laughs> i'll tell you what i got really irritated with his laser disc thing because finally watching it in high def there's fucking fingerprints all over that disc i know i saw that <laughs> you can't it's not even in high def that i that i fucking saw it i saw it on the old dvd i never i didn't notice it before but then i guess i wasn't really into laser discs the first time i saw the movie yeah i'm like are you really supposed to be holding it like that stop it no, you are not. Those laser dis- <laughs> or those fingerprints will completely fuck up the playback. The gun, the fucking gun. Mark and Steve-O are sitting in the, sitting in the kitchen in his house, and he's talking about how he had to he killed somebody because they tried to rob him, and you have to put at least one bullet in the head just to be sure. And you know, Steve-O's like, "You didn't fucking kill anybody. I don't believe you." And then he whips out this big, dirty, hairy gun. It literally looks like the dirty hairy. Oh my gun. god. It's- gargantuan and then steve-o says another line that i like he's like chaos and man although hopeful can be a bit tiresome (laughs) (laughs) even though mark will steal shit from you or from people just random people i guess he's very paranoid that everybody's gonna steal stuff from him so he thinks bob when they when him and steve-o were upstairs in the shower together (laughs) he thinks bob might have (laughs) stolen stolen one of his bags of weed specifically he was showing steve-o his shower which had uh seven that had lots of seven settings for optimal comfort all of which i will gladly show you now which was uh a big deal in the 80s (laughs) yeah i imagine so that was probably pretty new so yeah he points the gun at bob wakes wakes his ass up and shoots the fucking couch he had to show bob that there were bullets in the gun yeah right because Bob wakes up and he's like, put that thing away before I kick your ass. And then Mark shoots the couch next to him. Bob, of course, doesn't have his weed because why no, would Bob steal his weed? Bob only drinks. That's it. Yeah. So then they're like, well, fuck it. Let's go steal a car. That, you know, <laughs> Just out of nowhere. He's like, yeah, let's go. Oh, I'll buy a new couch. Let's go steal a car. <laughs> a night with Mark is proof of anarchy. That's what Steve-O says. So they do. <laughs> they do steal a car. And then we. Okay. Before they go and sink the car, we all know a person like this, right? Who will spit out these fucking crazy theories that they came up with, thinking they're entirely true, and and you're the fucking idiot for not believing them, right? Yeah. Like the aggressive conspiracy theorist. We've all met that one person. And, you know, now the modern equivalent is... One (laughs) person? Well, (laughs) at least one person. You know, 9-11's an inside job, and Elvis is still alive, and so was John Wayne, and they're living together up in the fucking mountains, fucking each other or whatever. I don't know if it goes that far, but I'm just, you know. No, you're not too far (laughs) off. I'm trying to think back, because I grew up with people like that. I mean, I've met so many of these folks, it's it's not even funny. It's totally batshit. It's a lot. And the, the, the really frustrating thing is that, and this is what keeps them going, is that Every once in a while, it'll turn out one of them is true. That's annoying, like the, but generally like speaking. With, like the thing with Ernest Hemingway, like you you heard about that, right? Nah, no. Ernest Hemingway like got super paranoid and was convinced the FBI was spying on him and like monitoring his phone calls and, and spying on everything he did. And then after his death, it came out, the FBI was spying on him and monitoring his phone calls and recording everything he did. Were they actually, or was that just something no, that they were. made that, up? No, they were. That, like, the files were released they they had been 
monitoring Ernest Hemingway a lot, like okay. an inordinate amount. Fair enough. They try to sink the car, by the way, but they can't sink because it's in the <laughs> sink, you fool, sink, you fool, <laughs> which isn't really true. I'd, it wouldn't hold up an entire fucking car forever. No, but it is funny. It is. It is very funny. It's we, the Great Salt Lake. It's the it, saltiest it, lake in the world. Well, it makes things it makes buoyant. Shit buoyant. We get back to the party and we meet Jennifer. She is the carnivore, right? <laughs> that, that chick. She's cute and sweet as pie, he says, but you don't want to meet her when she hasn't had her medication in a dark alley or whatever. And then, you know, she has a brother who's this death rock punk guy, which we'll meet later. I'm like, <laughs> when when we get to him, uh, th- that's not the impression that I get. No, he, he gives the impression of more being like an extreme stoner, yep. but also like being mildly into the occult or something yeah and that scene is actually kind of important so we'll we'll get there but steve-o talks about sandy he, we entered we get introduced to sandy officially even though we've been hanging out with her for the whole movie at this point i think he yes. likes her he's like he calls her sexy and witty and he's just he i like sandy he's really into her he says repeatedly how much he likes sandy yes. And then we officially meet John the Mod or Frank the Bunny, whichever. Oh, that's right. It's the same dude, isn't it? It is. <laughs> He's the guy who was into Independence Day as yeah. Randy Quaid's kid, isn't he? Yeah. So this he dude, looks very different in this. This dude's been all over your fucking TV for your entire life, whether you know it or not. <laughs> In tiny, tiny roles. Yes. He has, you know, drugs. John the Mod, he's a cool guy. He's like he's like a diplomat. He can go, you know, we get in a lot of spats with mods, but this guy's cool, right? He travels between the tribes. Then he goes, hey, man, where'd you get the beer? And he's like, Wyoming, where else? Which leads into another flashback. And this scene is so fucking funny. This whole this whole <laughs> scene. Like, they're, they're driving in the car, and that's kind of fine. You know, we meet Eddie. Eddie's into women. Not in, like, a sleazy way, but he just likes chicks and stuff, whatever. And he got his ass kicked several times for being gay, which he was not. What did he say? Well, and, fag, fag, and without the without the benefits <laughs> well before that though before we meet him we go through this whole thing where they say why they don't buy booze in utah because the only way the only way to buy booze in utah is you have to go to a state-run liquor store to get actual booze yes. otherwise the booze they sell in stores has like three percent alcohol which yeah is three instead of six low. so you have to go to the state-run liquor store and the guy who you who you buy this booze from is a cop. So as soon as we walk out the door looking the way we do, he puts a tail on us and tells them that we're going to, tells the other cops that we're going to start trouble. And then they get their asses beat because Bob shoves one of the police officers who pulls them over. This wasn't really about alcohol or whatever. This was about rednecks. So yeah, we get a little mini rant about rednecks in the middle of our beer story. So the real place they have to go to buy alcohol is Wyoming is Wyoming and that's where we meet Eddie and there, there's just all that all that stuff they're talking but let's talk about the, the scene in the store the three it's Bob <laughs> Steve-O and uh, and Eddie and they get in there and the dude working the counter and this tracks like it, it's pretty exaggerated but it's like yeah. like it tracks pretty well he like sees the three of them standing there and he's like what the hell where'd you guys come from and then Steve-O immediately like which seems out of character for, I mean not maybe not out of character but it seems like less clever than he could be you know he's like oh we came where the three wise men and we came following that big star and we bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh and shit. And the dude's like, oh God, who let you guys out of the estate institute? He goes to call the cops or whatever. And then Bob's like, no, wait, 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 wait. We're from England. That's why we seem so strange to you, man. And he's like, talking the way Bob does. (laughs) 
like he's straight out of Cal- like he's straight out of Los Angeles. The wife comes out and she's like, "Oh my god, what do they do to your hair?" <laughs> oh, she's like, he's like, "They're from England." And she's like, "Oh, that figures, don't it? What the hell do they do to your hair? You look like a gold-earned Indian." And he's like, "It's a medical <laughs> experiment. He'll he'll recover. He'll be okay." Uh, and then we've all ran into this person also. They're they're grabbing their beer and stuff, and then they hear these two people talking, and it's this lady talking fire and brimstone. Jesus is oh, yeah, coming, and blah. All this that was shit. my social circle. In high I, I, yeah. So how do you, how, how did this scene make you feel? Oh yeah. I mean, right at home. <laughs> this is exactly like my parents had this woman over at least once a week. And she's like, well, that's how come there's so many floods and earthquakes on the earth because of all of Satan's followers and stuff. And then Bob's like, well, there's been like floods and earthquakes since like the beginning of time, dude. Cause that's how he talks. <laughs> then, then she's and like, then never before. She in traditional evangelical fashion, is not deterred at all by that response. She has by the, the logic ready. <laughs> yeah, she's like, but never before have so many of Satan's followers been unmasked on Earth, or however she put it. And then Eddie, of course, has to go like, well, what about what about the Nazis? They were as good as Satan's army, and the world didn't end then. And then you had this Amish-looking guy who goes, well, I don't see the Nazis as Satan worshippers, which I didn't either. I don't either. I don't think they worship Satan. Hitler was a little into the occult, but. Yeah, and then he, then Eddie's like, "Oh, you don't." He's like, "No, I think of them as more of a gathering of people." And then Eddie runs over to Bob because Bob's like, "What did you say?" <laughs> and of course, Stevo has to put a nice button on this because you know the lady's like, "And all the Satan's followers will be marked with the six, six, six and stuff." And he's like, "A mark, right?" And then he starts convulsing and being all weird. Oh, and then he pulls down his pants and he has a six, six, six tattoo on his ass. And then the. <laughs> <laughs> the store owner guy he grabs the shotgun and i knew those boys were going to be trouble and then you know then they run out they steal the beer i guess yeah apparently because <laughs> like they didn't drop any money on their way out they just darted out with these with like four cases of beer and then i like the way they cut as soon as they get to the car to them being in the car because it, it's a two door <laughs> And Bob has to get in the back seat with all the beer, which would probably have taken forever and slightly undercut the urgency of their getting out of there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yep. Then we get another rant in the middle there. Oh, because because they were talking about Nazis. So they talk about he talks about Nazi punks and how it's very contradictory the way they decide they want to fight Nazi punks because he's like, it contradicts me as a true anarchist because it's it's basically like a system. When we fight, there's a system. When we're fighting for something like like Nazis or rednecks, then there's a system. Them. When we're bouncing around at a show, that's that's chaos and that's cool. First off, he talks about how much they hate Nazis because Nazis present themselves like they're punks, which was a thing in the, in the early '80s, especially. I oh mean, yeah, it still is. That's don't. where. Yeah, but I mean, like it really had a surge there for a while, and you know, of course, that's where Nazi punks Nazi punks fuck off came from. Yes, but you know, basically, like it's complete bullshit because we're all about anarchy and freedom and they're all about fascism which is you know just a hyper regulated regimented thing you know so it's it, it's complete they're they're basically the antithesis of what steve-o and bob believe in and then that leads into the whole conversation about why they fight and how fighting for a cause is sort of contradictory to his belief system so he doesn't know why he does it but he feels compelled to i want to be a cowboy starts playing i think it's by the vandals it's always it's always a fun song to hear i'm not i actually have never listened to that song start to finish i've only heard it on the soundtrack uh me too and 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 it's in dudes but it's it it's got a great opening i want to be a cowboy 
I am happy to see that Bob and Steve were not too punk rock for Lucky Charms and SpaghettiOs because that's what's on their shelf in their kitchen. <laughs> well, you know, punks gotta eat. And then, of course, some rednecks come and crash the fucking party. And that's where we get the fight essay. The fight. What does it mean and where does it come from? An essay. Homo sapien. A man. He is alone in the universe. A punker. Still a man. He's alone in the universe, but he connects. How? They hit each other. Ooh, no clear way to evaluate whether or not you're alive. Now, complications. A reason to fight. Somebody different. Difference creates dispute. Dispute is a reason to fight. Now, to fight is a reason to feel pain. Life is pain. So to fight with reason is to be alive with reason. Final analysis, to fight, a reason to live. Problems and contradictions. I'm an anarchist. I believe that there should be no rules, only chaos. Fighting appears to be chaos, and when we slam and pin a show, it is. But when we fight for a reason, like rednecks, there's a system. We fight for what we stand for, chaos. But fighting is a structure. Fighting is to establish power. Power is government, and government is not anarchy. Government is war, and war is fighting. The circle goes like this. Our redneck skirmishes are cheaper versions of conventional warfare. War implies extreme government because wars are fought to enforce rules or ideals, even freedom. But other people's ideals forced on someone else, even if it is something like freedom, is still a rule, not anarchy. This contradiction is becoming clear to me in the fall of 85. Even as early as my first party, why did I love to fight? I framed it, but I still, I don't understand it. It goes against my beliefs as a true anarchist. But there it was. Competition, fighting, capitalism, government, the system. It's what we did. It's what we always did. Rednecks kicked the shit out of punks. Punks kicked the shit out of mods. Mods kicked the shit out of skinheads. Skinheads took out the heavy metal guys, and heavy metal guys beat the living shit out of new wavers, and the new wavers did nothing. They were the new hippies. What was the point? Final summation? None. It's like the first inklings of where this story has got to go. You know, with Steve-O starting to realize that there are some gaps in his logic. Where systems have to exist, unfortunately. I sympathize because I don't like the systems. And I, and like I said, in my opinion, the systems really only have to exist because there are people who will exploit the lack of a system. Yeah, if it wasn't for bad people that would take advantage of other people, I wouldn't give a shit if there was stuff there or not but it's that tiny tiny percentage of the population it's probably one percent who just doesn't give a shit about anybody and will just totally exploit the system and everybody in it for their own gain which is already happening but it'd be way fucking worse if there weren't at least something regulating them in some way well i mean again like i said the problem with the current system is it was built by those people yeah during an era when there wasn't really a system fuck you whitey yeah i went there i did How dare you, sir? Now, shit is going to get a little more serious. So we cut to, this is where it also kind of starts being a little more real-timey, or, you know, not real-time, but, you know, a little more linear. There's very there's fewer flashbacks from here on out. Bob and Trish and Steve are all hanging out together in her shop. She owns a head shop and she walks to the back of the room. Bob's talking to Steve about her. He, he's like, dude, she's like responsible. She owns her own business and she like contributes to society. And then Steve O's like, she owns a head shop. She sells bongs, Bob. And then Mark comes in and he, they're like, hey, what's up, man? And he's like, well, I'm just telling you that I'm off. I'm going to Miami, presumably for a court date for the two people he murdered. I don't know. Awesome. But tough to say. 
this and and you know they they have a little conversation a couple jokes and shit mark leaves and nobody ever sees him again the rumor is that he died in a plane crash like he was supposed to all those years ago when his family died pretty dark which we glossed over because it was actually really fucked up the description of his family dying oh yeah his story oh his story about his mom smiling at him and getting her head cut off and now it's flying (laughs) at me and she never took her eyes off me yeah oh that's that's fun this is a fun movie it's dark business it's honestly not a fun movie now this marks the point where this movie is no longer a comedy yeah now it's now it's gonna get heavy so steve-o's under the impression i guess that they're all gonna hang out but they're not bob and uh trish are gonna go hang out together and they're just kind of gonna leave steve-o alone but bob's like oh dude i forgot to tell you that i sold myself to trish for 36 bucks and he's like well, you got a good deal there you can tell steve-o's like got something on his mind he's kind of annoyed just in general with everything right now i think it's that he's kind of irritated that Bob is Bob and Trish are like forming something and now he's on the outside of it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's hard when, when your best friend like moves past being your best friend, you know? Yeah. That, that and is, now they're, that is now they're like starting their life. Uh, that's yeah. a hard moment, you know, that, it's, it it's growing up. I guess this is growing up. I had that exact same thought after <laughs> I said it. Uh, so, you know, Steve-O then just kind of goes for a walk on his own. Him, Trish and Bob go do their own thing. This is where he runs into his dad. His dad pulls over in his fucking fancy ass car. And again, this conversation is great. I love their, I love their thing. Like he gets in, of course, Steve-O can't do anything without making a joke. Cause like, you can't afford me old man so he gets in the car that is again exactly the type of joke my son would make <laughs> and then his dad's me. like i've got really good news for you and then steve was like the world's coming to its end and he's like better than that better than that shit steve-o has been accepted into harvard law which he did not apply for but his dad his dad applied for him signed his name and everything so then they actually have well enjoy your second enjoy <laughs> your second term old man yeah, they they have they have a really nice conversation. You know, he's he's like, you did well in college. You know, that's it. And Steve was like, I cheated, man. I I cheated all through college. And then the dad, this does not phase his dad one little bit. He's like, well, okay, you cheated. Well, you cared about your grades. You obviously cared enough to do well. So why why didn't you go for liberal arts? Why'd you go for pre law anyways? Like, or why go at all? And then Steve, of course, he's yeah, trying and- he's trying to rationalize here. Like, I I wanted to find out how full of shit your life's ambition really was. Yeah, and you can totally see that he is rationalizing. Like, he's starting to... He never questioned that part of himself. He never questioned why he bothered doing well. And, I mean, and he says as much in the following narration, but you you can see him kind of go through that moment where he's like, huh. But then, he you know, he fires right back with his joke about how hollow his dad's life is. And I'm sure he <laughs> believes that to a degree. Yeah. How, how hollow... Also- suddenly ask and questions the, and the you know you're, you're you're like a fascist you're like a nazi and i love his reaction the dad's like i'm jewish steve how can i be a nazi this is a porsche that you bought at a volkswagen dealership volkswagen for the people <laughs> and then he goes on adolf hitler did this and it was on the blood of your people and then you can tell his dad's actually getting kind of annoyed because he's like it's just a car okay <laughs> i've always loved this actor he's 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 the fucking best. He's always good, no matter what he's doing. Yeah, Christopher McDonald absolutely kills it in this one. After the scene in the car, which is which is just so fucking cute, they go they go have lunch together. Steve-O has a hot dog. He's not a vegetarian punk, which is which is good because fuck those pussies. Am I right? Goddamn vegetarians with their 
not eating the same thing as everybody else. That's one That's one bit that's a turning point for him. The next one is a little less happy. Steve-O is hanging out with Sandy and they're walking walking down the street and they run into Sean. Sean hasn't been seen in a in couple years probably because that that rant during the when he's talking about when bob is talking about what happened to sean he's he's out of jail or the mental institution or wherever the fuck he was and he's a beggar now and it fucking sucks is what he says i'm a a fucking beggar and then sandy's like well you should get a job like very matter of fact (laughs) sounding like a true republican there cuts to him telling the story about how he tried to get a job and he (laughs) He walks in and he's what does he have he has fuck you like written on his on his coat or his over yeah. vest or whatever he's like i called about the job and she's like oh do you have any experience with women's clothes and he's like what the fuck would i be doing wearing women's clothes he's so maniacal in this scene like he looks like he's about to kill her the entire time which you know is exactly what she's thinking yep because <laughs> So, so even though so, this is technically yes. not a comedy anymore, it's still funny sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, we're getting into some heavy shit here, but it's th- there's still laughs to be had. Yeah. And that he's like, you know, I just don't think I can work with you. You seem to have a pretty bad attitude, lady. <laughs> I don't care how much not you pay me. Not conducive to a healthy work yeah. environment. I don't care how much like you that. pay me because I have integrity in fucking integrity. <laughs> and then he walks <laughs> out. I love the I love the little ha <laughs> thing as he leaves. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, yeah, so so I tried that. Yeah. There's just nothing out there for me. Damn it, I, f- I feel that, Sean. Sean's not exactly work market ready. Uh, No, no, Uh, but that's The okay. other thing you have to remember is in the 1980s, they basically, the Reagan administration, like, helped push through budgets that cut almost all the funding for the nonviolent mentally ill. I did watch... SLC Punk 2 yesterday after watching this. I'm curious. I, I haven't seen it, but I want to. I, I know it's not the same thing, but... It's uh, not. It's very different. But Sean and John do come back, and Eddie. So Sean is is okay in 2005, at least. Okay. So, yeah. So it's set much later. Yeah, it's 20 years after. Sean is okay. John bec- John moves to uh, Iceland or something, or Norway or some shit with this girl that he fell in love with. And then he comes back and he's all into metal and stuff. So he's not a mod anymore. <laughs> he's into Norwegian black metal. Yes, yes. And he owns a record store and shit. It's really funny. And then Eddie, you know, being being the being the woman, the guy who's into women, he uh, started a website where chicks like flirt with dudes and stuff. <laughs> I'm I'm very curious to see where that goes. Uh, it's isn't on, it? It's on Tubi. Didn't you, didn't you say the main characters are like Bob and Trish's kid or something like that? Oh uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's Bob and Trish's kid, and then Machine Gun Kelly plays his friend, and then there's a girl with them. Okay. I'm yeah. I'm I'm very curious to see it. I didn't really like it the first time I watched it. I when I went back to watch it yesterday, I just wanted to be able to talk about it a little bit. It it's okay. Yeah. I mean, the first time you watched it, you probably went in thinking SLC Punk. Yeah. You know, that's not really a fair expectation. To no, place on it. temper those expectations quite a bit. It's it's very different. That's like I watched uh, Alex Cox's Repo Chick, <laughs> yeah. which was made in like 2013 or something like that. And uh, it's it's not to be compared with Repo Man at all. No, and he good. doesn't consider it a sequel. Oh, good. He considers it like he considers that there is now a Repo genre. And this is a movie within that genre. That's his argument. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair. I liked Walker a lot. Walker was cool. Yeah, Walker's awesome, isn't it? I yeah. loved it. Rachel hated it. And I had to I had to look up like what what the, what's this fucking dude's problem? And he was a lot like that. And it was it's really funny. 
yeah, the um, this dude was out of his fucking mind. Holy oh, cow! Oh yeah, he he was a nut. It's it's a great fucking movie, and I love that somebody like that actually existed. That makes me so happy. Well, the interesting thing is that we then had the the war in Grenada. You know the um, like that's why he made that movie was because the our whole thing in Grenada was going on at that time. Then it ends with the with the helicopters and shit coming. <laughs> Like, what is this fucking yeah. Monty Python? What the hell? But that's not the movie we're talking about. No. Similar vibes, though. If you like this shit, Alex Cox is not the is not the wrong person to go to. Very much so, yeah. You you will probably enjoy a lot of Alex Cox's work if, you, if you're into this movie. But, seeing that we're not talking about Alex Cox, we're talking about fucking Steve-O and shit. He is really concerned with himself. So like like he he feels bad that Sean is kind of in the in the situation that he's in. But you know, he's like, you know, we we got to get out of here. Let, let let's go. But he he turned his back and he's like, that really fucked me up. Not Sean himself, but turning my back on him because like there's nothing he can do and he knows that, but like he can I don't I don't know why he feels so bad that he turned like like there's nothing you can do, so like I get it. I kind of get it. It's confusing but i understand like you want to help but you can't help so you just kind of leave and pretend like it doesn't exist for a while well and it's also fucking with his ideology because his ideology says that that guy like that sean in particular in the situation he's in is like the kind of person who he should be all about you know but it's just too much to deal with like it's too heavy for him his perspective on life is changing that's what happens when you get older kids never grow up it fucking sucks and he doesn't like the way his perspective is changing and i can relate to that you know same like because there there are things he could do but they would involve him having to take on sean as a responsibility which is a lot he's kind of upset with himself for for walking away so he goes and drops acid with sandy in the park and good lord this scene fucking scares the shit out of me i never want to do drugs that's probably a great headspace to drop (laughs) acid in aren't you supposed to like not do stuff like that when you're feeling super shitty (laughs) (laughs) well that's what i've heard i i don't know from experience because wow he essentially witnesses an apocalypse as he's tripping on acid i I feel like this is not a good trip at all no i don't get that vibe uh yeah it, it it seems like it's a, a fairly negative experience for him overall. I don't like drug trip sequences in movies in general. This one actually serves a purpose kind of because it's actually him like doing this because he just doesn't want to deal with shit. I don't like drug trip sequences because they're typically not done very well. This one I like. This one I think serves its purpose very well. And it, it makes me feel weird and uncomfortable. And which is the point. I feel like, yeah, that's exactly what he was going for. And it works. I hate this scene so much. It's, it's, it's not supposed to be an enjoyable no, experience. No, it's legitimately hard to watch. And then we get the next scene where Steve-O and, Steve-O and Bob are hanging out at their, at, their, at their place. And Steve-O asks Bob if he's in love with Trish. And Bob is kind of dances around the subject. He's like, you know what? If she told me to do this thing, I'd probably do it. If she told me to lick a cop's asshole, I'd probably do it. I'd probably cut off my arm if she asked me to. So yeah, you know what? I think I am in love with her. The way he phrases it yeah. too at the beginning is like even a little bit like I don't want to miss it. He's like, well, I mean... I worship her. <laughs> oh, yeah, I worship her and all. Then <laughs> Steve-O's like, well, you're a fucking poser, because only posers fall in love. You fell in love. You're a fucking poser. Steve-O's got a <laughs> yeah. great attitude about the whole thing. Then he's like, Bob, I don't really think you're a poser. And Bob's like, yeah, I know, dude. It's cool. They're friends. He's he. I think Bob understands that he's kind of a little arrested development-y right now, and he's moving on. Yeah, Bob is kind of like, I mean, he found Trish, you know, like he's moving into that next phase in 
Steve-O's a little resentful about it, so he's taking it out on him a little bit. Yeah. And, and then I think Bob kind of gets it a little bit. Like, he kind of gets that that's what's going on. But he's also, you know, like, he doesn't love it. But he's happy, so, you know, his friend needs to chill the fuck out and be happy for him a little bit. Yeah, he does. Uh, then we get his he has a little monologue here where he goes you know this wave of melancholy just kind of washed over me this impending sense that my philosophies are falling apart what do you do when your foundation falls apart they don't teach you that in school I'm like ouch alrighty <laughs> yeah <laughs> they really really don't uh, yeah then he's like then there's this party at Chris's another really uncomfortable scene but the positive part about this scene is that James Marandino does a cool transition from one room Wait, which- to another which one was the party at Chris's? I'm I'm trying to remember. Oh, is this the one where they go down into the basement? Yeah. Okay. Chris is the death rock punk guy. Right. Okay, so this is that one. Yeah. The cool transition from, from their apartment or whatever it is to Chris's house is interesting. <laughs> I like that. He just turns around and he... and he's like, well, here, let me show you. And then he just walks over into the next scene, which is like right inside his house. Yes. It, it, it's a great transition when he gets to the party we see jennifer again this time there's you know she's not she doesn't have the wig on she just has the her hair's down her hair's blonde again and she's like kind of all manic and like touching steve and being all weird and he you know he's like basically looking a lot like ophelia tonight yeah she's way off her meds yeah she is not on her meds anymore and she needs to be even back in the day i mean yeah that's And that, that makes me uncomfortable, too, because I'm like, dude, you gotta fucking... And Steve-O's really smart about it when he goes downstairs and eventually talks to her brother. And he's like, isn't she beautiful? And they're like, she doesn't really know who she is. You know, or you know, she needs to be herself. And Steve-O's like, well, yeah, I think she should be herself, but I don't think she really knows who she is, you know? So he's pretty progressive for the for the mid-80s as far as, like, psychological drugs go. That's a real That's a really tough one because, you know, it's like the 80s was a really hard time for that kind of stuff because... It was still not really well understood or or well talked about, you know? It wasn't something that people discussed very openly, especially in a conservative place like that. There wasn't a lot of knowledge floating around about it, and you didn't have a place like the internet where you could go and learn things. And people had a lot of built-in biases, you know, about anything to do with mental health, and especially when it came to medication, specifically because, you know, drug companies have proven themselves over decades, centuries even, you know, to be completely unethical. So it's, you know, to to put somebody in a, it, on drugs to alter their mental state requires a lot of trust in companies that have proven they can't be trusted. It's really fucking hard. Like, I, That's a I, fair point. I get that. But she was clearly on her meds in that earlier scene, and she yeah. needs to be back on them, like, now. Yeah, that that's that's a tough one. That's that's a really tough one. He goes downstairs to have that conversation with with Chris about about her. And then eventually it goes into let's talk about anarchy, Chris says, because that's our that's their custom. That's what Steve-O says. They talk about anarchy and versus, you know, chaos versus order. And Chris is all about this order and how the universe, you know, we die, but then we're reformed as something new. You know, there's a, a child is born blades of grass and all that shit. And Steve-O is fucking he even says he's like, I'm losing this argument right now. <laughs> because because everything has a system chaos becomes order becomes chaos it's all it's it, it's a thing it's an interesting philosophical debate uh the kind of shit i could totally see myself investing a lot of time in and then going <laughs> what the fuck was the point of all that yep <laughs> and this scene is also really uncomfortable to watch and the other three down in the basement are doing weird shit the other two 
whoever's down in the fucking basement, whatever. It's uh, Chris's other sister and this dude named Jones who wants to prove that he wants to try to summon the beast at midnight. And when Satan doesn't show up, he'll know that everybody will know that science is the only thing that whatever. Giving a a perfect example of a total misunderstanding of the scientific method. I don't really understand this. But on on brand for you know, like angsty teenagers. Well, yeah. Uh, or early 20-somethings. I don't really understand the significance of the lightning photo, but that's what gets Steve-O to really, like, mellow out and be like, yeah, okay, and kind of concede the argument at that moment. Well, that she... Because in order to capture a photo of lightning, you have to hit the shutter button before the lightning appears because it's so fast. Which... So in order to in order to capture a Polaroid of lightning, you have to basically get insanely lucky. And she does. Like apparently. it's not like it's not like a, a regular thirty five millimeter camera. You can set an extended, you know, shutter. Uh, like you can have the shutter open until you let it go or something like that. It's a Polaroid. It's automated. It's always going to flash at the exact same rate. And uh, and so yeah, to capture lightning, you'd have to hit it at the exact perfect moment, which would be slightly before the lightning strikes, like milliseconds before the lightning strikes. Suffice to say, it's it, it's an impressive stroke of luck, which, you know, you could maybe argue shows some sort of order in the universe that it, they synced up. You'd have to be pretty stoned, which they obviously are. <laughs> Just a little. There's, there's a giant hookah in the middle of the room. And they're all talking, you know, like, Oh, man, it's so great to see you. Well, I mean, this is what I'm trying to say, dude. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Oh, I don't want to hang out. Nobody's sober in that basement. No. Steve-O might be. Fuck, he's he's very. Well, Steve-O walked in with a beer. So when everybody's going outside to. Well, he, yeah. Well, Steve-O goes upstairs because Jones is about to do the ritual to summon Satan and stuff. He mentioned Mike is there. And he's, he's like, dude, he's been sitting in the corner. He didn't say a word all night. Every, it was really weird. It was just a really weird night. And yeah, this this whole scene is very weird. And you feel really weird watching it. Yeah, Steve, something's way off at this party. Yeah. And Trish even, like, you kind of you you agree with Trish a little bit just because shit's getting weird. And she's like, you know, he shouldn't be messing with things that he doesn't really understand. Me and Bob are going to get the hell out of here. Steve-O's like, no, I totally get it. Um, I'm going to go find Sandy and I'll get a ride home with her later. So he does. He goes and finds Sandy. She happens to be fucking some other guy in, in, in the bedroom. And yep. Steve-O goes after this dude. But it freeze frames. And he's like, you know what? At this point, I realized everything has a system. Even me. I was going to beat the shit out of this guy because he had invaded my territory. Even though they had this agreement that, you know, they didn't belong to each other right it wasn't a relationship it wasn't exclusive it was it was supposed to be open it was supposed to be just of the moment you know and yeah and he and and, but it turns out nope he's he's an animal just like everybody else and everything has a system yeah it's so true and then he eventually goes outside and he's like you know jones didn't need to prove the devil didn't exist he was in that room with sandy he was he was me my dad bob harvard he was all of us he was everything shit man we're getting real here yeah (laughs) and then you know basically he's like fuck everything and above all fuck anarchy because his whole his whole system it's all it's all falling apart right around him and then this is where they go back home and bob is having an epiphany about how salt lake city isn't really that bad because you know everywhere you go you got to have a home and you know salt lake city is like our home right and steve-o doesn't like that 
He has a Mm -mm. fucking meltdown about it. He's like, there's nothing fucking here. This place fucking sucks. My fucking, you know, this will never be my home and shit. Get the impression that Steve-O's feeling just a slightly, just a bit of abandoned by his best friend who's just kind of all of a sudden becoming comfortable in his surroundings and happy with the way his life is going. (laughs) Yeah, and he, Steve-O walks out of the room and Bob turns like towards the camera and he fucking, he's like got, oh man, he looks like he's about to cry. Ah, it kills me, man. Then we get a little minor threat to ease the tension a bit have we visited bob's dad yet no not yet that's coming here soon we do get to hear about mike and why and how he is deciding to leave salt lake to go study botany (laughs) and everybody's really concerned about it they're like like he's like what's that it's plants it's like you're gonna go study plants he's like somebody needs to fight for them and then he punches the fucking table for the rainforest the rain yeah (laughs) like fair enough i guess it's it's just kind of funny (laughs) <laughs> and then we hear about his the most hardcore guy in the scene is running off to fucking go save the fucking plants there was a time when he thought all the cars on his block when he was in high school thought all the cars on his block would look better without windows yeah and then it's and then it's mike walking down the street just smashing out the windshields on all these cars just one after another after another after another and then here come the cops. Finally, yeah, he gets caught by the cops and he he was drunk by the way. He breaks the handcuffs, kicks himself, kicks his way out of the fucking back of the cop car by kicking out the back yeah, windshield kicks the rear window out <laughs> and then they're like oh he was on pcp it's the only way he could do it it's like no that's just kind of how mark was mike that's how mike was fucking a and now he's going off to fight for the plants yep and then he's like that's that just left me and bob you know yeah and what and then he has this moment where he's like and i i knew that that it the, was the that end that was the end yep it was just me and bob left the first two punks the last two punks but then I was getting the feeling that I was all that was left because you can't then, be in love and be punk at the same time. And then we cut to the salt flats. The salt flats. This place looks fucking depressing. I don't want to go to Salt Lake City. It sounds stupid. I've been to Salt Lake City. It's like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of there, you know. I mean, it's I I drove through it. We went and saw the Mormon Temple, you know, just drove around the outside and stuff. There's there's fucking nothing there. It's the it's the most boring major city I've ever driven pat driven through. Like you drive through a major city, you expect to see shit going on, you know. Nope. Not really. Apparently you have to dig deep and find the underground punk scene and then shit shit happens. Yeah, we were just driving through. <laughs> Trish uh suggests that she wants to set up a blind date with for Steve O with this chick named Brandy. Because oh, because the this fucking Sandy thing has really gotten to him. I, I think he he doesn't want to admit it, but he's like, you know, I no, we had an agreement, it's fine. It's just, you know, the the, the way it went. But really you could tell it's fucking it's it, it, it's killing him and he's like, you know, I should have just been more careful. So he totally fell in love with this chick. How come my friends never set me up on blind dates? I was under the impression from movies and T V that, <laughs> that that was gonna that was be just a major thing? part of being a single adult. Yeah, no shit, right? All your married friends would absolutely have fucking just random single people to set you up with. Yeah, no, doesn't happen. It, have not been set up on a single date. My sister tried a couple times, and then my friend and his wife, they also tried. So I guess that this has happened to me before. You got way more than I ever it got. It failed miserably all the times. Sure, I expect it to fail, but you want to at least give it the old college try, right? Oh, I did. I spent four hours talking to this chick, and then I like started talking to her afterwards, and then she's like, oh, well, I just see you as more of a friend. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, fine, sure, fine, fine, <laughs> that's, that's fine. And then there was this other girl. I tried real hard. I ditched my friends to go to a concert with her and everything. Oh, wow. It did not fucking work. Eh. 
My sister was really bad at setting me up with girls. She's just like, oh, I have a single friend that exists. You should, you, you'd probably like her. She's a carbon-based life form, and you're a carbon-based life form. So let's fuck, I guess. <laughs> so glad we got that on the record. Okay. Yeah, really, my sister was just terrible at fucking setting me up with people, and it sucked every time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd like to go on some terrible dates. It would be worth the experience just to go on some terrible dates go get it do do some more online dating man you just say hey what's up to every girl on there no 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 no. i don't want to go find my own terrible dates i'd like to be set up on some terrible dates because then i could talk shit to the person who set me up on the terrible date okay like Um, you jackass what made you think i was gonna like that person shit man i wish i wish i could be that guy for you but i (laughs) nope nope i don't know (laughs) fuck you don't know anybody i know nobody she says you know i'm gonna gonna introduce you to brandy and he's like that's fucking weird man i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to go on a blind date so steve-o's kind of like pretending to be all fine and then bob and trish start making out behind him and he's like yeah you guys are fine oh yeah you guys are you guys are just fine I, I a- <laughs> tell her bob tell trish i get off on pain he's like yeah no he does i've mellowed out a lot but steve-o he's still fucking hardcore <laughs> yeah but it's fine he agrees to go meet with brandy because she's a rich kid too it's fun now though before that party this is where we meet bob's dad bob's dad this scene bums me out and you do get to know bob a lot better just like steve-o did this is like the first time in their entire friendship that steve-o was actually meeting bob's dad keeping in mind these guys have been friends since they were 14 they're 22 yeah, now at least that long like they're established friends at 14 yeah so so yeah he's a he's crazy and obviously mental illness was something that wasn't taken quite as seriously back in the day so he lives in this fucking shack and he thinks the government's after him the cia and he doesn't remember he doesn't know who bob is they're sitting in there and he's like asleep all passed out drunk and stuff and you know he wakes up he says who the hell are you i'm bob it's your birthday happy birthday dad and then he's like how'd you know it's my birthday and then he pulls out the shotgun starts shooting at him (sighs) And they run away, and Steve-O knows a little bit more about Bob than he knew going in. Yep, he says, I suddenly know my friend a little bit better now. Yeah, poor Bob. Yeah, so they're driving home, and Bob's kind of kind of messed up. He's like, "Dude, I'm I'm sorry." And Steve was like, "Dude, why are you 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 do not need to be sorry? I'm sorry that that's something that you had to fucking deal with, basically, because that's sad. That sucks. We're gonna get happy for like a second here. It is. It's. It's the night of the party, and I love this for Stevo, and I love these moments in movies too, because this is actually this is a this is a real moment. We've all been there. Oh yes. They go to this party. Brandy meets them at the door. And he's just like, I'm, the, I'm, I belong to this girl now. Uh, this is the girl that I'm. Oh, but, but before he does that, he does have a, he does have like a reflection moment. And before, before he actually does go to the party, and he's like, uh, yeah, Brandy is the girl that I'm gonna marry. If I knew that, then I probably would have felt a little better about this night, or you know, thought differently about the things that had happened or something. Uh, if oh, and the, the one of the fun lines is, if the guy I was then met the guy I am now, he'd beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the perfect summation of the arc of this movie which mine is just the opposite if i had to go meet my younger self i'd slap him around a little bit <laughs> same you know what the and fuck then, are you doing getting married at 18 no shit. shit and then he's like you know was i afraid was i angry or was it just the end I'm like damn steve-o come on we were having fun a little while ago yeah this movie does not end the way it begins. Yeah, yeah. So so he does meet Brandy. She's cute. She's like, she has these fucking eyes. Is She's played by Summer Phoenix, by the way. Uh, Summer Phoenix, I actually just realized this by checking her IMDb page, shares the honor 
uh, I guess, of uh, being in a movie that was very significant to me. Aside from this movie, obviously, this movie was very significant. But another movie that was extremely significant was The Believer, starring her and Ryan Gosling. It was the movie that introduced me to Ryan Gosling. Is that the and, one about the uh, like the Nazi cult or something? Yeah, he's a Jewish neo-Nazi. That's an interesting combination. Yeah, it, it is. It's a it's a very interesting combination, and it is a very very good movie. It is the movie that made Ryan Gosling my favorite actor, uh, which he is to this day. And uh, yeah, and she plays his love interest in it. Nice. Uh, yeah, she's. I didn't think she was hot like years ago when I first watched this, but there's something about her now. As I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, shit, no, I totally get why he, like, immediately falls in love with this chick. Yeah, she's just got something. There's just something. I, I don't know. I I couldn't nail it down more than that. Yeah, There's he, just something about her. He walks in there, and then his narration goes, all it took was one smile. That is the hardest punch I've ever taken in my life. And they really found the perfect the perfect girl to play her. And and they're they're sitting down, they're talking, and she's just this is where she starts questioning, asking him questions about all this shit that he does that he thinks he needs to do because he's punk. And he's he's this is where he starts like really questioning himself because she's like, well, you're like supposed to be like anti-establishment or some shit. Wouldn't it be more like against the system if you wouldn't go out and look for all these punk clothes and buying blue hair dye and shit literally just like he was talking shit on everybody at the beginning yeah it's it's the perfect destination for this character's arc it and, really you know, is because he and he says they did it for fashion and then she's like that's not rebellion that's fashion and he's like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> so then and he, and he, he's and he like he doesn't like it right off the bat he's no. like, oh like he tries to he tries to dismiss it by being like, oh, so what you're saying? Because I look the way I look, you're not interested in a guy like me. And she's like, dipshit, I've been sitting here talking to you at my party the whole night. Yeah, she's like, oh, obviously, I, I like you. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, doesn't it seem like yeah, she, she's just posing a, a lot theory. of work into making it look like you're not putting a lot of work into it? Yeah, yeah, that that's it. And then, you know, they, you know, they decide they both go like, I like you. I like you, too. And then they go in for a kiss and... <laughs> The narration comes in again. He's like, what was I, an asshole? I was in love with this girl and I just met her. (laughs) And I hated her ideas because they were critical of me. (laughs) And that's the last bit of happy we will feel for the rest of the movie. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Bob has a headache. He's not doing well. He's very stressed out about his dad's situation and all that shit. He walks by. He's trying to go to the bathroom. John John the Mod and his girlfriend are there and... they're like you okay and he's like no i got a headache and she's like here take these pills And he's like i don't take pills man and she's like they're just vitamins and he takes them like what kind of piece of shit is this girl that she watches him down a fucking handful a handful of percocet with bourbon and doesn't say anything uh yeah she sucks and you know what that uh, that actually never comes back in the sequel even though he's there huh oh oh because it was john's girlfriend right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about it until you just brought that up. Yeah, that sucks, and nobody. Th- what? A, I mean, she watches him do it. She even kind of has a look of horror on her face as he does it, because he the takes fuck? the bottle from her, throws a fucking mountain of these things into his hand, and then downs them with some whiskey. And it's and she's like, "What the fuck, dude?" But she doesn't say anything. Nope. Like, you asshole. Yeah, she sucks. Fuck that chick. I didn't even think about that. Like, you could have still saved him at that point. You could have been like, "Dude, no." You have to puke right now. He does not get that chance. He goes into the bathroom. He looks in the mirror, throws the fucking bottle of whatever he was drinking at the mirror while Amoeba plays by the adolescents, by the way. 
which is a cool song. I'm not song. familiar with the song. It's that song. Duh. Well, obviously, I'm just saying I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a pretty good song. It's a good one. It's a good one. You should check it out. Seriously, the whole soundtrack of this movie is just banger after banger after banger. It really is. If you're into punk music, you probably wouldn't be here if you weren't watching this movie. Unless you just, you're just really into John Hughes, like the tagline says. Or, you know, they could be really hardcore Sharks Cross Hollywood fans. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean here, like, listening to us. I meant, like, watching you, the movie. You know, the legions of really hardcore Sharks Across Hollywood fans. So, of course, uh, a bunch of people hear that the, the things shatter in the fucking bathroom. They go in, check on Bob. Brandy goes in there, and, you know, all, all the friends, you know, the party's over. All, all of Bob's friends kind of push everybody out. And he's like, you know, I'll buy you, I'll buy you a new mirror. And she, she's like, no, it's fine. I'll just tell my parents it was an accident or whatever. And as they're leaving, like, Steve-O has Bob. And her reaction to this question always weirded me out. Day one. Day one, he's he's dragging Bob out, and he's like, "Hey, uh, can I call you tomorrow?" And she goes, "No," or "Uh, yeah, yeah, that that that's, that sounds cool." And then he like pecks her on the lips, and then then he leaves. Why did she say it was weird? It's just a weird reaction. Yeah, it is a little weird, but I don't know. It could have been that she, you know, that she thought he said, "Would you mind if I called you tomorrow?" I don't know. There, there's a lot of ways that could be interpreted. It yeah. could be interpreted that she didn't really want him to call her tomorrow, but then why would she have? hung out with him and said she liked him and made out with him and like i don't know she's like i don't want to hang know. out with it's, you and your stupid friends so now bob and steve-o are driving home and bob is having like a fucking existential crisis he's like dude i'm not gonna cry you know i'm not gonna cry dude i'm not like my dad um do you think i let him down no bob you did not let him down he let you down by being a fucking alcoholic and that sucks and that's what Steve-O says, you know, I, if anything, he let you down. Yeah, that's a hard one, because that dude clearly has severe mental health issues. And then Bob's like, dude, I want, I want to marry Trish. And Steve-O's like, yeah, okay. Okay, buddy. And then Poor he Bob. carries deadweight Bob up the stairs. He's still he's still awake at this point, but he's like, dude, you're like a fucking high school girl. Like, And then he throws him on, the, on his bed, and he's like, fine, good night, asshole, Jesus. Then it fades out, and Bob, Bob goes to sleep, passes out, and we're like, Wake up the next day, just like at the beginning of the movie, Steve-O walks up to Bob, kicks him, and says, Hey, man, let's 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 get up. Let's go get something to eat. Only this time, you know, Bob is white. His eyes are wide open, and he's fucking dead. Well, and what the fuck? His eyes aren't wide open. His eyes are open. Well, you know, <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. Fucking Bob is dead. Steve-O kneels down next to him and, like, checks his pulse and this, again, the first time I watched this, I'm like, why is he overacting? Why is he being such a fucking weirdo about it? Because that's how some people react to things like this. It's like, you know, I was just listening to the Warriors of Virtue episode, and it's like that kid. Losing his shit. You know, I don't want to see death. Ah. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's like I said then. When you encounter real, you know, the real horror of death, it seems like, like the reaction seems unreal. If you put that reaction on screen, it seems like overacting because that's the real reaction. You know, the real reaction is it's it, it it's a lot. Yeah. And not to mention it's his best friend, his only friend. Like he even sees he's screaming. He's freaking out. He's like, only posers die, you fucking idiot. And, uh, you know, what am I going to do for a friend? I'm like, oh, come on. Stop. Stop it. You're going to make me cry and it's going to be fucking stupid. Oh, God, I was I was fucking ugly crying over this <laughs> watching it this time. Oh, oh no, it wasn't it wasn't even subtle. Which, that cut right through me. Did your kid like hold you and tell you everything was gonna be okay? <laughs> he didn't watch it with me. Oh, that punk. I no, know. He's not he's not even cool he, enough to be a punk. He wouldn't wake up at 
eight forty five and watch it. I woke him up. He told me, "Yeah, give me the give me the opportunity, but I probably won't." Little little narration, y'all. The official cause of death: overdose on Percodin, Right? He mixed Her- so heroin, Bob. The guy who was afraid never- of needles never did a drug <laughs> in his entire life outside of beer and cigarettes. Fucking died, died from an overdose. After Bob died, Steve-O realized, you know, it's like this whole punk thing. It was always kind of Bob. Bob was the one who got me into this shit in the first place. Now, and then we, then we. Take a, take the last flashback of the movie. And then I get to tell you who is in a, in a movie with Shaq. It's one of these two kids. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it the kid who plays Bob? It is certainly the kid who plays Bob. He is in Kazam. <laughs> of course he is. I knew I recognized <laughs> this kid. I just, like, I, I, I couldn't tell from where. I've seen Kazam, but only parts of it. You know, like, it was it was a thing I ran across on cable multiple times. So that's probably where. Oh, yeah, I rented it all the time when I was a kid. Yeah, that story checks yep. out for you. That's 100%. I was the right age for it. Yes, you were. It's not a good movie. It's fucking terrible, actually. No, it's not. Like, some some movies hold up better than others. That one doesn't hold up at all. It's really, really bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the kid who plays Bob is from Kazam. Steve-O is in his basement setting up this D&D campaign. And, he's, and Steve-O's narrating. He's like, Bob had other plans for for our future like we were just fucking dorks hanging out playing D&D and listening to Rush in my basement but Bob came in Steve-O's like hey man you're early Mike Mike and Eddie I think no Mike and John are gonna come over eventually so he's been hanging out with all these guys forever wait no Mike is way younger than I know Mike that's what I thought graduated. But, but he did say that Mike and John were coming I don't know what tape he puts in but Bob comes in and goes, hey, man, I got this from a guy that I, that I know out in L.A. And Steve was like, you know, you know somebody in L.A.? Don't touch my fucking stereo, Bob. Rush is in there, and Rush is great. And he's like, yeah, no, Rush is, Rush is great. It's fine, but, you know, let's try something different, man. There's other music out there. And he pops in this tape, and Steve was like, this isn't anything. And he's like, just fucking wait, man. Give it a chance. Sure enough, it changes both of their fucking lives. And then we cut to Steve-O current steve-o 1985 steve-o sitting on a bench after after the funeral and (laughs) well he's well he's saying goodbye to trish who trish has has cut her hair in grief yep and then Uh, his trish has like bright like kind of over the top hair throughout the entire thing and now she has like a short black hair black cut and he he leaves her and says okay that's that's all he says that's his that's yeah we don't really know what the conversation between them was but he's just he's off on his own and and then to the bench. And then to the bench. And so there I was. I was going to go to Harvard. It was obvious. I was going to be a lawyer and play in the goddamn system. And that was that. <laughs> it was my old man. He knew. So what else could I do? I mean, there's no future in anarchy. I mean, let's face it. But when I was into it, there was never a thought of the future. I mean, we were certain that the world was going to end. But when it didn't, I had to do something. So fuck it. I could always be a litigator in New York and piss the shit out of the judges. I mean, that was me, a troublemaker of the future. The guy that was one of those guys that my parents so arrogantly saved the world for. So we could fuck it up. We could do a hell of a lot more damage in the system than outside of it. That was the final irony, I think. That, well, this. <laughs> fuck you, if y'all are thinking it. I guess when all was said and done, I was nothing more than a goddamn trendy-ass poser. The end. The end, and then fucking dead kennedy's plays and we're all happy and having fun even though that movie ended on such a fucking downer oh my god an emotional roller coaster of a movie it is it really is like it it, it'll it'll take you from the laughs to the tears in a matter of a very few scenes so final thoughts on slc punk before we run away 
if this isn't your movie, okay, but I can't relate. This is such a this is such a great fucking movie. I love this movie so much. Uh, I loved it immediately the first time I saw it. Granted, I had to be walked into it by people I trusted who were like, no, no, trust me, you're going to love this movie because the marketing for this movie did not work, which is sort of a success if you're looking at the spirit of the movie. If this sounds at all like it's your type of thing, go get it. Go buy it. It's fantastic. I love this movie. I agree. This has everything that I want in a movie. I love coming-of-age stories. I love punk rock. There's like a, a, a touch of the romantic in there. A little bit of violence. Plenty of violence, yeah. There is. There's a lot of violence. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a well-written, well-acted, great movie. And, I, I'm legitimately yeah. pissed that this hasn't been inducted into the Criterion Collection. It really should be. Criterion I, is the home for this movie. 100%. I 100% think that, yeah. Absolutely. But, apparently... Paramount is eventually going to fucking or Sony. Sony. It's a Sony movie. Fuck me. They're they're gonna do something with it at some point. They made it into that big ass box set. Maybe next year on the twenty fifth anniversary they'll let us have one, a standalone release. God, I hope so. But I think we're done. We're done with SLC Punk and and we never have to talk about it ever again. And we never shall. Uh, so social media, you can follow us on everything at the Shark Pod, where I will be posting some one star, maybe, and send some two star reviews of this movie before we before we uh, actually post the episode. So that'll be fun. Patreon, patreon.com slash Sharks Across Hollywood. You can hear us talk about 2021 the 13th, all the Friday the 13th movies, The Asylum, some mockbusters. We'll have to do a part two of that one of these years if, if we keep on doing this for fucking ever. Undoubtedly, yes. Which it looks like we're... Looks like we're going to. I, I can't stop now, man. I'm a fucking addicted. Oh, God. I'm like heroin Bob. I'm an alcoholic, but I'm a potaholic. Oh, potaholic is the worst sort of a holic. And this year we're talking about the Shaw Brothers box set. The 12 Fingers of Shaw. That's what we're doing. Patreon.com slash Sharks Cross Hollywood. Go there. Give us some money, please. Do. Yeah. Yes. 100% do it. But, hey, we'll be back in a couple weeks with, hey, a movie by people that you were talking about in this episode and you've been bringing up for fucking ever, actually. Uh, the Coen really? Brothers. Fargo. Oh, fuck, that's right. We're finally doing a Coen Brothers movie. We're doing Fargo, and I've never seen it, so this is going to be an experience. Okay, uh, yeah, I love Fargo. Uh, this will be a good rewatch, and it'll be neat to see what your perspective is as a first-time viewer. I'm excited. I've always wanted to watch it, and I just never got around to it because I'm a lazy piece of shit. That's what's great about this podcast. It gives us an excuse to watch all the movies we buy. I think we're done. I think I think all that's right. it. Have a have I a happy have a happy punk rock day. We'll be back in a couple weeks with Fargo, but until then, stay jawsome.